meeting is held by WebEx pursuant to the gov governor's executive order and mayoral emergency proclamation suspending and modifying requirements for in-person meeting. During the corona disease emergency, this committee will convene remotely until the committee is legally authorized to meet in person. Public comment will be available on each item. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Comments or opportunity to speak during this time is available and you can call 415-655-0001. Again, it's 415-655-0001. Access code is 146-921-9782. Again, it's 146-921-9782. Then pound and then pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussion, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to be added to the speaker line. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down your television or radio. Alternatively, you may submit your public comment via email to mary.hom at sfgov.org, and it will be forwarded to the committee and will be included as part of the official files. Please note that this meeting is recorded and will be available at sfgovtv.org. Would you like me to call roll? Please. Member Chu? Here. Member Larkin? Absent. Member McMatthews? Matthews, present. Chair McHugh? Sorry, did I already say present first? Was that somebody else? That was uh, me. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> Member Mills? Here. Vice Chair Natoli? Here. Member Pantoja? Here. Member Post? Here. Great, would you like me to call item number two? Please. Opportunity for the public to comment on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction that are not on the agenda. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. Access code is 146-921-9782, then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comment. Please note that you have three minutes. I'm checking the attendee and caller list now. Just give me one second. I do not see any hands raised for public comment. Would you like me to move on to item number three? Yes. Approval with possible modification of the minutes of the October 19, 2020 meeting. Does anyone have comments for the meeting minutes? No, but I'll um, uh, put it forth to approve them as is. Second. Thanks. Uh, for the person who's second, if you can just um, state your name. Sorry, Timothy Matthews. Second. Perfect. Thank you. And I'm going to go ahead and call Roe for this. Member Chu? 
Aye. Member Larkin? Absent. Member Matthews? Aye. Chair McHugh? Yes. Member uh, Mills? Yes. Vice Chair Natoli? Yes. Member Pantoja? Yes. Member Post? Yes. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take public comment for this item. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 146-921-9782, then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comment. Please note that you have three minutes. I'm checking the attendee list now for callers. There are no callers on the line. Would you like me to move on to item number four? Yes. Presentation from various department regarding the 2008 San Francisco General Hospital Bond and 2016 Public Health and Safety Bond, liaison report on the Public Health and Safety Bond and, po and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. So we have Joe Chin on the line here. I'm gonna go ahead and pass him the presentation role. Just give me one second. Sure, thank you, Mayor. Is it working? Can you see my screen? It is working. Um, if you can expand it, uh, we would yeah. be able to see it a little better. Yeah, let me see. Yeah, very good. Perfect. You're set. Very good. Very good. Okay, thank you. Good morning. Uh, can I go ahead and start? Yes? Yes, please. Okay. Sorry. Uh, good morning, Madam Chair and members of the Seagobot Committee. My name is Joe Chin, Public Works Program Manager for the 2016 Public Health and Safety Bond Program. I'm here this morning to give you an update on the PHS Bond Program. I'm also joined uh, today by members of the Public Works Project, Project Management Team and Client Department representatives in support of the program. My last formal presentation to Seagobot was August 2019, uh, over a year ago. So let me go to my first slide. There we go. Uh, this first slide provides an overall summary of the funding allocation for each of the six bond components that are part of the PHS program. As a reminder, the total approved bond authorization amount for the public health and safety bond program is 350 million, which provides funding for three client departments are allocated across six components. The three client departments are Department of Public Health, San Francisco Fire Department, Department of Homelessness and, and Supportive Housing. Of the 350 million, 272 million has been allocated to three DPH components, which include the ZSFG Building 5, Southeast Health Center, and Community Health Center. 58 million has been allocated to two San Francisco Fire Department components, which are the Ambulance Deployment Facility and the Neighborhood Fire Station. 20 million has been also been allocated to the Homeless Service Site component. To date, the program has completed three bond sales with the third and final bond sale finalized last month in the uh, amount of 126.9 million. Since my last presentation, the team continues to make good progress across all bond components 
as additional projects have progressed from design phase to construction phase, as well as construction completion or nearing construction completion. On the ZSFG Building 5 component, 14 of the 19 core projects remain active. Three projects have been completed, five projects are currently in construction, four projects in design. On the community health center components, by next month, I expect to have all three health center projects to be in construction. Southeast Health Center started construction in May of 2020, and the Castro Mission Health Center is the latest project to complete bidding and award with a target construction start date by January of 2021. On the ambulance deployment facility project, the new facility is around 95% completed with a target completion of January of 2021. And on the homeless service site component, construction for the uh, 260 Going Gate Avenue facility family shelter has also started and completed in the past six months. As I mentioned earlier, the program has completed three bond sales to date. The third bond sale that was completed in November will be the last bond sale, which fully funds all bond components. The first bond sale was in amount of 173.1 million and was completed in March of 2017, sorry. The second bond sale was in amount of 49.9 million and was completed in June of 2018. The third bond and final bond sale was in amount of 129, 126.9 million. Uh, the risk and challenge continues to be the same as the items I've been tracking since the program started. However, I do want to spend a few minutes talking about a new risk item that I have added, uh, which is COVID-19 related costs and time impacts. Uh, since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic earlier this year, contract has had to make numerous adjustments in the field to implement new safety protocols required by the various health ordinances by incorporating new sanitizing procedures, masking protocols, social distancing requirements, more safety oversight from the contractor safety officer, et cetera. The actual cost and time impacts are still being evaluated uh, by Public Works, but many contractors have, started, have already started submitting additional costs related to these requirements. Some project, some project schedules have also been affected due to material procurement and shipment delays due to supply chain impacts, as well as the lack of availability of trade labor resources. The overall, our projects have been fairly uh, fortunate to date with very few positive COVID-19 test cases uh, that were controlled and had limited impact on construction activities. Moving on to the next slide. The next few slides uh, will be more focused on uh, detailed updates on each of the bond component. The overall budget for the ZSFG component remains the same as previously shown. Expenditures and encumbrances is currently at 75 million. Specifically, IT infrastructure has received OSHA plan approval, which allows construction to start. In the past six months, uh, one of the major effort public works have been focused on is completing the RFQ and RFP process to select Panko builders as the CMGC contractor which was based on a combination of qualification and cost criteria. Panko Builders will be the general contractor that will be tasked to deliver the construction of the next seven core uh, projects. The CMGC delivery method was also chosen over the more traditional lowest price delivery model because of the complexity of the projects in Building 5 and the need to coordinate seven separately permitted projects within one occupied building. Another key upcoming milestone is the completion of the 6H search space and rehabilitation department project projects, uh, which is uh, targeting to complete by early first quarter 2021. 
this is a key domino that will allow the public health lab and Dallas's relocation projects to start the main construction scopes. Uh, at the lower kind of right hand corner of the slide, there are some recent construction photos of the rehabilitation department project and the now completed seismic retrofit phase one project. The overall budget for the South Sea South Center component remains the same. Uh, the encumbrance is currently at 22.2 million and has increased substantially since the last report because of the recently awarded construction contract. The budget on the slide only represents the geo bond, bond funding portion as this project uh, has, as DPH has also leveraged other fund sources to balance the project. The Southeast Health Center project is located in District 10 of the Bayview neighborhood. The flagship project of this component is the construction of a new 22,000 square feet health center adjacent to existing health center. Construction NTP was issued in May of 2020, about seven months ago. Some recently completed construction activities include site demolition, site grading, and foundation piles. The next few months, the project will be focused on completing the building foundation, steel structure erection, uh, with a target milestone of getting the building water tight by next summer and to start the interior build out. The community health center component is primarily focused on tracking two comprehensive community health center projects that include seismic retrofit as well as interior renovation scopes. They include the Maxine Hall Health Center located in District 5 and Castro Mission Health Center located in District 8. Maxine Hall recently reached a scheduled milestone by completing the major structural improvements and is currently focused on interior build out. Ongoing ac construction activities include framing, drywall, and various mechanical, electrical, plumbing, and life, sa life safety systems uh, installation with a target substantial completion date by second quarter of 2021. Castro Mission recently completed construction bidding and award and is targeting to start construction by January 2021. This project has an overall construction duration of 16 months. The, the Ambulance Deployment Facility Project or component consists of a single construction project. This project is progressing well with building completion around 95%. The project is targeting substantial completion also by January 2021. At the bottom of the slide are some recent construction photos of the project. It's extremely exciting to see the rendering of the ADF project become a reality. The image on the right is a computer rendering of the ADF project during design, whereas the center image is a recent photo of what the building looks like today. The neighborhood fire station component consists of the host tower removal at six fire stations, fire station 6, 11, 12, 15, 21, 38, to mitigate the seismic risk associated with them and the generator replacements at three fire stations at 18, 37, and 44. After a very prolonged entitlement process through city planning, the team was able to start construction in July of 2020 on five of the six fire stations with the host tower removal scopes. The project is targeting uh, achieving substantial completion by the end of first quarter 2021. The last of the host tower project at Fire Station 15 will also start bidding in early 2021. Fire Station 15 is being packaged separately from the other five stations, primarily because it includes the removal and the rebuilding of a new replacement host tower. Now, last but not least, on the homeless service site component, there are three general scopes that are being tracked. Uh, there's a design construction at 440 Turk Street, which is the centralized 
administrative office for HSH, as well as the client access point. Uh, number two is the building improvements at three city-owned adult shelters at 1001 Polk, 525 Fifth Street, and 260 Golden Gate. And third is the design and construction at 106468 Mission, which will become the new office and service space for the San Francisco Homeless Outreach Team. Uh, 440 Turk Street was completed in 2019. The team also recently started and completed the life safety improvements at 260 Golden Gate, uh, also known as the Family Fa Hamilton Family Shelter Facility. Design of the other two shelter sites is targeting to start by first quarter 2021. Design start had been delayed by the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, which had put everything on hold for a while. 106468 Mission is a project that is managed directly by HSH staff. Construction started uh, in March of 2020 uh, with a target completion of December 2021. And then the, the next and the final slide uh, is a, a very detailed summary of the expenditures and encumbrances for all bond components. I don't intend to go through all the, uh, the line by line uh, numbers as I feel they're pretty self-explanatory. So at this point that completes my presentation for today. Uh, my team and I are available to take any questions that you may have. Thank you. Thank you Great. for that presentation. Uh, uh, so I'm the liaison for this bond. <laughs> um, and thank you, Joe, for that presentation. Um, you know, for my fellow committee members, I'll say what I always say uh, about this bond and bonds that like the ESER ones and stuff like that is they're, they're incredibly hard for us to govern. Um, because uh, there's so much going on across across um, the, all of these different projects, um, and I'm I always, as you know, I always compare it to the SF General rebuild, where we knew exactly what that project was, um, and we could track it as a as a single entity. So if this seems confusing, it is, <laughs> and hard to govern, um, it is. Um, the other thing that 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 I think is also makes it hard to govern, but also is an opportunity for us. Um, is the fact that DPW is um, is essentially the contractor? They're getting you know they're sort of the service provider um, on behalf of the three the three departments and the three departments: public health, uh, fire department, and housing, are ultimately responsible for the success of this to the voters. Um, it's not DPW. Um, the good thing, the opportunity there, the good thing for us is that those um, departments also have their own governance committees. Um, that I'm, and, um, I, I hope and I'm pretty sure are also doing their own due diligence, you know, probably from a very different lens, um, but we are not the only ones that are, that are looking at the, the millions and millions of dollars going through this bond. Um, uh, so that's why, uh, you know, at this point, whenever we have these reviews, um, I ask if there's anybody, uh, you know, in this meeting um, from, from those departments that can talk a little bit about, um, you know, you know, ultimately, maybe a little bit about how you're governed, but um, um, what I want to know about the, um, you know, from their perspective, uh, you know, are these projects delivering on the value that they that they had that they believe that they will give to our voters? Um, are, is it an efficient um, and effective use of use of bond funding? I'm not sure how to handle that in a non non in person meeting. <laughs> sorry, Mary. Sorry, um, but I, is there anybody here from the fire department? I don't see anyone from the fire I do see Kathy Jung from Department of Public Health. Great. Joe, is Kathy on the 
panelist yeah. link? Yep. Yes, I do see it. She's uh, right. Well, at least on my screen, she's right in the middle. Okay, great. And I and Kathy did not know that we were going to ask her to say something. I know. <laughs> completely compared everyone. Are yes. you to Mary? <laughs> so um, I'm sorry to, to create chaos. Uh, uh, good morning. I don't know if you can hear me or see me at this point. There you go. We can. Great. We so, can hear you. We can't see you. Um, okay. Well, my I see me. <laughs> okay. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm not, I am the director of facilities and capital projects for the department. So I help manage the scope and uh, the project managers from my team that work with Joe and DPW to complete the projects. The health commission is the oversight body, which Joe and others report to on a quarterly basis, which has the actual oversight for the bonds for the Department of Public Health. And Joe, you may wanna um, expand on that but I generally don't participate in those meetings. Those are Terry Saltz, usually from Zuckerberg, who has the lion's share of these dollars. So, um, and those are reported out at that time. So, um, I'm sorry, I can't be more helpful, okay. but it is generally yeah, yeah, are, you, are you comfortable with where the status of these projects are? We work with Joe and the team very closely and we are moving it along. I think, yes, we are, we're trying to get these things done. And I'm hopeful that all of at least I'm only responsible for the primary care projects, which are the smaller grouping, about $50 million of the bond. So, um, and I'm, I'm pleased that we are nearing completion on one in a very, moving quite quickly along on Southeast Health Center and Castro Mission will start. So yeah, I'm very happy about that. Great, thank you, Kathy. Sorry to put you on the spot on that. No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyone else uh, here from public health? Uh, is anybody here from the housing group? Oh no! I'll assume that that's not the housing group. Um, well, thank you. So that that's I I, I promise we will. Joe and I will coordinate a little bit better on, on this on this point. Um, overall, you know, I, I am I'm happy with the, the, the state of the, the bonds as they are. I think that um, uh, I do want to ask Joe to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what we as a governance committee should be looking at um, the impact of, of the last nine months and the generally on some of these on, on all bond programs, but in general, because we had a nice conversation about that. A couple things for us for us all to keep top of mind. Um, but from this from the projects themselves, um, this is where I thought it would go, given the situation that we're in. So. Um, Joe, do you even. Oh, I think we just lost Joe too. <laughs> no, I, oh, oh, I'm here. Sorry. Okay. I just, I think my picture is frozen, but I, I can That's see okay. her. <laughs> uh, any, any comments on, on, um, uh, you know, how you think the pandemic in the last nine months is going to affect bond programs? Um, I, I think I, I mentioned, thank you for the question, uh, um, member Chu. Um, yeah, I think, you know, COVID-19 has been kind of a, uh, a very challenging, item that uh, that's impacting all projects in particular in the construction industry uh, you know initially there was some confusion associated with you know what are essential projects and I think uh, the subsequent health or ordinances that came out clarified that point so I think since then you know all, all the public works projects had been or majority of the public works projects have been deemed as essential and 
And so in, in terms of the activity in the field, that has continued. Um, but I think overall, I think I mentioned some of the uh, cost and schedule impact that that's going to be inevitable. Uh, you know, this is definitely not something that uh, people uh, or, you know, the contractor have expected when they sign on to work on the project. Uh, there is, you know, there, there is a, uh, um, a, a slight positive, uh, you know, I think the fact that a lot of the other projects in the, maybe in the uh, private private industry or private sector has uh, slowed down. Either they've been uh, put on the back burner or, or on the shelf temporarily. I have seen a, a increase in interest in, in public bidding or contracted bidding on public projects. So on the last uh, cash emission health center project, we both times when we rebid, when we bid the first time and the rebid, we saw over six bidders, six contractors bidding on the project. So that definitely is a positive. So it was much better than what we saw maybe a year ago uh, when we were, you know, trying to scrap by by three, at least trying to get three contractors bidding on the projects. That's great. Thanks, Joe. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that's the end of my report. I don't know if any of our members have any questions for Joe or the other, the whole program. Kristen, uh, Timothy, I have a quick question. Um, and I think I'll yeah, probably... it's Brian, can you hear me? No? Okay. Hello, Brian. Welcome. I have you down. Thank you. Okay, uh, Timothy here. So I'll, I'll say this, I think, at the end of each report. Um, you know, with COVID-19 uh, delaying construction and, and the actual projects themselves, I'm curious, has, have uh, PMs or, or the finance folks looked into um, refinancing uh, any of the bonds that have been let? Because the, the horrible, bizarre opportunity that- Oh, you, you can't hear Europe. me. Okay, thanks. So who would um, have that information? I'm not sure, Joe, I, I don't, we don't do the financing side, but that's a super no. interesting question for um, uh, the, we, we do occasionally talk to the financing people. Yeah. I see uh, someone from OPF. Uh, I think Vishal is online. Maybe this is maybe a question better directed at OPF, uh, Office of Public Finance. Vishal, are you? This is Peg. Um, oh, okay. I'm just going to say, yes, um, we have done some refinancing. Vishal might be able to comment on it generally, but we could also, at a future meeting, bring back a more complete report on the refinancing that has been done to take advantage of the market situation. Thanks. Great. Thank you. I have a question, Kristen. I have a question, Lauren, first. Great. Um, for Joe. Uh, on your last, the second to last slide of the um, homeless service sites that you talked about, uh, those, some of those, those uh, construction projects being delayed because of COVID, um, what do you anticipate them starting Hi. up? Hi. Uh, Hi, this is Vishal from OPF. I apologize, my connection is atrocious and I, it keeps cutting out. Uh, so yes, we do, we do issue refunding bonds and uh, we, uh, we'll continue to, to check the market conditions to see, and uh, and our, our uh, call dates on our outstanding bonds to um, see if there are refunding opportunities that adhere to our, our debt policy. And uh, we issue refunding bonds periodically. We, we did in fiscal year 2020, 
and uh, we're preparing to do so in fiscal year 21 or yeah in in 21 as well so uh, this we, is okay. um this is lauren again joe if you can yes. if, you, if you're still here and can go to your slide i think it was the second to last slide in the presentation it's your project yes. slide on hsh um, yes. Can you still see? Can you hear me or see I, the I, screen? We can, hear, we can hear you and see the the cover slide. Oh, so, so slight delay. Then. Um, let me uh, let me reshare. Great. I mean, given you know, I'll throw in my editorial comment. Given uh, the number of people uh, on the on the streets who are suffering and in need of HSH facilities. I just am concerned in particular that this area has been delayed uh, due to COVID project and construction constraints, which I understand, of course, what those are, but just, just hopeful that you have a, you know, ETA on, on when those might uh, start up again. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, sorry. So yeah, I th thank you, uh, Member Post, for your question. I think the, the the projects that are part of this uh, uh, bond program for the homeless service site, um, the only two projects that were directly impacted were at 525 Fifth Street and 1001 Polk Street, and the, the scopes that we that we were working with the client department uh, on uh, was really focused on deferred maintenance type work. Uh, so, the, and the reason why the, the during the pandemic some of the work was kind of halt, was held back just because the facilities were heavily used. Uh, actually had to be uh, uh, cleared up because of some of the outbreaks of COVID-19. Uh, so we were asked by the client department to, to at least uh, uh, kind of play by ear until things kind of uh, um, calm down a little bit. And then, so, and since then, I think in the last uh, two, two, three months, we've uh, restarted those projects and we're actually starting to design um, right now, or at least working on the design priorities with the client department, and then we'll be uh, focused on starting design early next year. Okay, that's good news, thank you. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless there's any other comments, I think, I think we're done. Thank you. Public Thank you, comment. everyone. Great. I will go ahead and move into public comment. Hey, I'm sorry. This is Brian. Um, you guys hearing me? All right. Yes, we hear you. Thank you. Good. All right. Then, then, then I'm sorry. I was having trouble unmuting and with every other thing this morning. So anyway, um, for Joe, I had a question. Um, in the written report, um, on page six under rehabilitation department relocation. Um, <clears throat> the second bullet item, last line, the contractor has indicated that they will be submitting COVID-19 related impacts. I'm sure you're gonna be getting lots of them. As a matter of fact, all the capital programs are. We discussed this at our last meeting under the MTA bond, the 2014 transportation and road improvement bond. Have you guys been coordinating with the city attorney's office? Because it looks like a lot of departments are gonna be having this kind of issue. And I think I recommend that you develop a unified approach to the COVID-19 delays in particular, because it's, there's a lot of money at stake here for sure. And 
if you if everyone's trying to fight them separately or taking a different approach to them separately, the odds of getting the best deal are diminished. So that is my recommendation for sure, that, that you talk to whoever, whomever in the city attorney's office is handling this kind of claim, both potential and actual. Have you had that kind of contact? I'm sorry, Brian, I think uh, I lost, I had to reconnect. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you fine now, Joe. Um, I'll, I'll make it short. You, you have had a claim on your re, the rehabilitation section um, from the contractor saying he's going to be submitting COVID-related delay claims, impacts. Um, have you been in contact with the city attorney's office to see that there's a unified approach from all the departments in dealing with these? Because as I was saying, the MTA, the 2014 Transportation and Road Improvement Bond that we discussed last month, pardon me, in October, at our last meeting, they were getting the same kind of thing. And I figure that most capital projects are. And it's best if the city develops a unified approach with the city attorney to these kind of claims. Have you had contact with them, the city attorney, that is? Yeah, thank you. Uh... Um, member uh, Larkin for the question. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, we do see this as a, as a global issue that we need to address it to have a unified and consistent response uh, to contractors. So we are very much in contact uh, with the city attorney as well as with our, our public works construction management team so that we have a unified response uh, addressing similar uh, cost issues that come up from the contractor. So we are working to very closely with the city attorney and as well as our own internal uh, public work staff to make sure we have a, a same response, consistent response to, to for all projects. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that, Joe, really, because that, that could that's going to be a large exposure throughout the city and it winds up it can wind up being a lot of money one way or the other. Can you tell me who in the city attorney's office you're you're working with? Uh, sure. Yeah, we uh, for most construction related issues, we work directly with Yadira Taylor. Uh, she's uh, one of the many city attorneys on the construction team. It's, okay. uh, say say her first name again. Uh, Yadira Y A D I R A. That's what I thought. Okay. All right, Joe. But anyway, that's a good response. Thanks a lot. It's, um, it sounds like you're on top of things, and I'm hoping the other departments are too. That's all I had. Have a good holiday. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. well, sure. Just to be clear, I'm done. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, would you like me to move forward with public comment? Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 146-921-9782, then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comment. Please note that you will have three minutes. Checking the attendee list now. I do not see anybody raising their hands, so there are no public comment. Would you like to move on to item number five? 
Please. Presentation from various departments about the 2010, 2014, and 2020 Earthquake, and earthquake Safety and, and Emergency Response Bond, Liaison Report and Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response Bond, and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. I'm going to go ahead and pass the presenter role. One second. Thank you, Mary. I believe uh, the slides will be managed by one of my colleagues, um, Sean O'Brien. So we'll look for him to bring that up here shortly. Uh, good morning, uh, Commissioners, Chair um, Chu and, <laughs> and the other commissioners, of course. Um, my name is Charles Aguirre. I am the um, Acting Director of Project Management for Public Works. Um, I took on that role uh, July of last, of last year, and uh, before that was the Earthquake Safety Emergency Response Bond Program Manager, beginning with the bond program in 2010, uh, followed by the program in 2014, and now with uh, what I'm sure you know is, a, is the most recent um, iteration of this bond uh, passed in June of this year, ESER 2020. Uh, as you could well expect, uh, both 2010 and 2014 are nearing uh, completion, 100% completion. There are some projects, major projects that remain, and those are ones we'll discuss or uh, describe to you here in this presentation. Um, there are a variety of different city departments that are beneficiaries of these bond programs. Um, most specifically, uh, they pertain to public safety or first response missions. So certainly the fire department, the police department and the PUC in their operation of the emergency firefighting water system, also previously known as the Auxiliary Water Supply System, the AWSS. Uh, we have also uh, delivered projects for the medical examiner, and we're currently delivering um, a project um, of, 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 of very substantial importance, um, which is the new fireboat uh, station at Pier 22 and a half. And again, not to steal my manager's thunder who will be presenting that component, um, but it is quite an extraordinary project. Next slide, please. So among the highlights and accomplishments is the continued work to address our really exceptional emergency firefighting water system. For those of you who may not know, it bears mentioning that this is almost unique in the world as a firefighting water system uh, developed uh, as a consequence rather of the uh, 1906 earthquake installed originally in, 20, in 1913 rather. Um, and quite honestly was falling under some disrepair until the ESA program came forward and began to underpin and otherwise um, improve it uh, so that it is a thoroughly reliable system. And now going forward, we're mainly oriented to expanding the capacity of the system to provide emergency firefighting water throughout the city at a, at a level of parity across the city. Uh, Fire Station 35, um, is that project I mentioned earlier, which is the fireboat station. Uh, that uh, project uh, is somewhat more prominent, I think, in people's minds now that it has arrived at Pier 22 and a half, where the work will be completed. But again, don't want to steal too much thunder from my manager. Um, the Traffic Company Forensic Services Division project, a police project, uh, is also uh, well on its way to, towards a completion in 2021. 
It is again an exceptional facility among facilities, certainly. Um, we're very happy that within the context of our ESER bond programs, we're rendering uh, what I call generational facilities. Once in 50 or 75 year duration uh, facilities that should continue to serve the city uh, very well as their predecessors did before it became necessary to replace them. So as we're going forward, and as I mentioned, both these bonds are nearing their completion, uh, which will then allow us to refocus our attention on the work uh, to be accomplished through the next bond, uh, ESER 2020. Um, we have appropriated all that which we intend to spend in regard to both um, the bonds, ESER 2010 and ESER 2014. We'll talk a little bit more about how that occurs um, in delivery. Uh, risks, issues, or concerns, always certainly our budget, scope, and schedule. Those are the parameters that we as managers focus upon and uh, really work uh, very hard. I don't mind telling you to ensure that we remain within the, the, the guideposts or the rails of project delivery. Uh, the one element or aspect that is a bit of a wild card in most recent time and is uh, broached by Joe uh, in, in the previous uh, presentation rather is COVID. Um, most of our projects uh, have been well underway since COVID emerged, um, which is to say they started substantially before COVID debuted in March of this year, uh, at least in terms of practical impact to projects. Uh, we are though seeing increased costs on that front, uh, specifically uh, most prominently around uh, conformance to the health officers directives on protocols and practices to ensure this, the, the, the sanitized state, if you will, of site and in the work process. Um, but we'll be seeing more emerge, frankly, among different projects, not just ESER, but as Joe mentioned, his projects and some other projects uh, that are currently underway. The next slide, please. So what I'd like to do here, and I hope he is uh, on the key, in the queue here to talk about, well, let me, actually, this is me, sorry. <laughs> Uh, the public safety building, the police headquarters, uh, the new fire station number four, uh, the new venue in the old brick fire station, formerly fire station 30 of the fire department's ar arson task force was finished uh, several years ago, frankly, and is uh, basically now uh, in full operation and uh, by all accounts uh, working very well for uh, the functions that we have housed in that location. Um, so not much to be said about this, uh, at least at the moment. Next slide, please. Okay, so here is where I'd like to turn it over if my manager is in the queue to talk about neighborhood fire stations. Yes, um, good morning committee members. This is Sherry Katz. Uh, I'm the focus scope project manager for these projects. Um, I will say that uh, the first project, Apparatus Bay Doors, uh, National Garage Door, uh, that project is now complete. Um, that was completed 10 fire stations over the summer and they're currently in financial closeout. And, um, uh, and that, that addresses actually everything for me on this, on this slide. So I'll turn it over to Magdalena Brayor. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, Next slide, Sorry. I'm sorry, Charles. Go right ahead. I, mean, I apologize. Okay. <laughs> Apology accepted. Uh, 
Uh, okay, so uh, my portion uh, to report to you on this slide is Fire Station 16 and Fire Station uh, 5. Uh, both uh, completed and uh, both uh, um, achieved substantial and final completions. We are in the financial closeout. Um, so there's really not much to say about it. Uh, they are fully operational and used by the end user. Next slide. Um, I think this is, this is a little bit mixed between me and Sherry. Um, so I will just discuss my projects. Um, Fireboat uh, Pier 20, uh, 26 uh, project achieved substantial completion in uh, September. Uh, we are now uh, closing, uh, trying to get the final completion this month. Possibly it will be done uh, in January and that will be followed by financial um, completion and closeout. Uh, Fireboat Station 35, um, that's our um, jewel in the crown, uh, extremely high profile and very interested uh, project, getting a lot of attention. And um, it made an actual splash and impact when it was delivered to Pier 22 and a half on December 3rd. Um, it, it was very exciting um, experience and we got a lot of coverage from the press and everybody was just super excited. Um, the project is um, trending a little bit behind the schedule um, and this is mainly due to the PG&E and the point of connection that has been revised. Um, so we are anticipating the move in by the fire department sometime spring of 2021. I think, Sherry, I will now transfer it back to you. Thanks, Michaelina. Um, so starting with Fire Station 31 Generator, uh, that project uh, is closed out. Um, next is the, um, the Apparatus Bay Doors Fire and App Inc. Uh, he is uh, about 95% complete with his punch list and uh, we anticipate that he'll be completed with the project in quarter 2021. In Fire Station 2 generator, um, on December 9th, we had a virtual pre-bid conference for Fire Station 2 um, with a good turnout of general contractor participation and all bids are due on January 6th for that project. Great. Before uh, David Marston with PC uh, launches uh, his presentation, I just want to underscore the scope of the Neighborhood Fire Station bond program in both bonds. It ranges from very critical essential elements of any fire station like emergency generators, like their apparatus bay doors, all the way to very large significant projects like Fireboat Station 35 or the replacement stations such as five and 16. So the span of work there is meant to ensure the readiness of the fire department to deploy both personnel and equipment uh, to calls for service. So I just wanted to underscore that particular aspect of the NFS. Um, I'll now ask uh, David Myerson from the PUC.
I would ask is Ada Zhu on the line here to present the emergency firefighting water system. So if not, that, okay, please go right ahead. Okay. Um, I saw Dave Meister is also on the call. Um, just want to call. Maybe Dave is on mute. Um, but me? Yeah, thank you for. Oh, Dave, can you are hear you, me? Are you able to hear me? Yes. Yes, I am able to hear you now. Okay. Um, so what I was explaining was uh, these projects, this is the fifth of five facilities projects. Uh, the other four have been, uh, <laughs> the construction work has all been completed. Uh, this will not end in December 2020. It'll move out into 2021 um, as we finish up some items, one related to uh, PG&E service to the building and another to an exterior sewer line uh, that was discovered that needed service to the building uh, and also some of the improvements within the building. But th these projects are combined funding from ESER 2010 and ESER 2014. Um, so what, what we are working on at the moment is um, moving all of our expenses out of ESER 2014 as needed to zero out ESER 2010. And we hope to have that done um, probably in January of 2021 with all the accounting uh, steps we have to take. So this ESER 2010 technically should be closed out early next year, but this project will continue for several months. Next slide. Uh, 19th Avenue is a large public works managed contract with several city departments being performed on Caltrans property on 19th Avenue. Uh, we have pipeline that's uh, existing for the AWSS from Irving to Kirkham Streets, which will be replaced from 12 inch with uh, a new 20 inch pipeline. And that's to help improve water flow to the area. Our Clarendon Supply Project will introduce uh, new water sources into the EFWS, and that's, um, we're just waiting for notice to proceed. Uh, the contract has been approved, and we expect that NTP in February of this year. Um, upcoming milestones, this is actually a past tense event. We are in construction right now on Terry Francois Boulevard from Warriors Way to Mission Rock Street. Uh, we're partly done with the work. Uh, the bulk of it should be done uh, by January. Uh, we had to order some uh, hydrant lateral parts, some small pipe that uh, the city was intending to provide but was not able to. So once that's delivered, we'll be able to wrap up that project. So that, that's moving ahead quite well. We will also be extending the completion date of that bond, uh, particularly for uh, the 19th Avenue work and the Clarendon Supply work um, beyond the December 2020 date, which we have not done yet. Great, thank you very much, David. Um, this next uh, component is managed by Magdalena Ryer. Um, okay, thank you, Charles. Um, so police facilities, there are three contracts and um, let's see, seven projects. Uh, so another Richmond Taraval renovations, uh, that project achieved um, substantial completion and the same park and Ingleside both achieved substantial completion. We are working on 
um, uh, achieving final completion on, on these two contracts and these two uh, five stations. Uh, Baby and Tenderloin, uh, we are still a few items away from uh, achieving substantial completion. We anticipate to, to have it possibly end of uh, December, um, but you know we, we will see how, how it goes, but uh, most likely uh, we will get this uh, probably January, February next year. Uh, but um, this work is, is, is all done and um, the client um, has the use of all the uh, renovations that were uh, performed at all these stations. And, um, and then this will be followed up by a financial uh, closeout. <coughs> Uh, the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner was in use uh, by the end users since uh, November of 2017. Um, that was one of the first projects that was completed. And uh, we can only, we, we only hear good news about it, how happy the, uh, the staff of the Chief Medical Examiner, uh, they are very happy with this uh, new state-of-the-art facility. And uh, the one, one item that it's taking a long time is to um, getting the LEED Gold certification. Uh, we had to appeal a few uh, uh, points, few credits. Um, and um, as soon as the um, new uh, CO2 uh, sensors are going to be installed, we will submit that information to USGBC and we expect to be granted um, a LEED Gold certification. So that will be early next year. CFSD, Michael Rosetto. Good morning, this is Michael Rosetto, Public Works Project Manager for the Traffic Company and Forensic Services Division Facility. This project is will house uh, various units from the police department uh, the traffic company currently at the Hall of Justice. CSI, which is under forensics, is at the Hall of Justice as well. And the crime lab portion of uh, forensic services division is out at the Hunters Point shipyard. They will all move into this facility along with a presence from the real estate division who will own the facility on behalf of the city. And uh, we are about midstream. It's a 25 month construction uh, duration for this project. And we anticipate substantial completion uh, in fall of next year. And on the construction side, as you can see in the photograph here, things are progressing quite well. Uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, entire building is now weather tight. All of the metal panel, which you see on the lower left side of the photograph, has completely enclosed uh, the perimeter of the building. Uh, Clerk Construction is the CMGC for this project. Um, it is about three quarters a laboratory facility, so quite complex on that front. Uh, for that reason, this contract is somewhat unusual in that not only is it CMGC, but uh, the core trade design subcontractors are design builders for mechanical, plumbing, electrical, low voltage, and the exterior envelope. So it's quite an interesting uh, project where we have HOK as the architect of record with their consultants working hand in hand with Clark Construction and their design builders. And uh, I'm pleased to report that the relationship has gone quite well. The project uh, is not without its challenges, 
paramount amongst them are uh, uh, dealing with PG&E. Uh, the project is currently on schedule. However, uh, challenges and risks are still ahead of us in getting uh, delivery of uh, permanent power and uh, gas service. Um, other than that, the project has experienced cost impacts due to the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, and we are managing that and uh, working with the contractor to, to tighten up uh, exactly what is we feel required um, because of the public health directive as opposed to uh, contractor initiated um, uh, reactions to the directions. Um, I believe that's all I have to say right now, if there's any questions. So um, thank you, Michael, for that. Um, you know, one of the things I was remiss in not stating at the outset, which I'm sure you've heard before in other presentations is a major challenge uh, to the delivery of our projects is PG&E. Um, I'm sure you've read in the paper in recent months regarding the difficulty um, in collecting PG&E's uh, cooperation, um, collaboration in the delivery of work. And oftentimes uh, the resolution of the PG&E um, requirements or, or commitments to the project are not understood until the very end of the project. It does cause unnecessary stress and strain among all involved. I, I imagine in some parts, some of the staff at PG&E too, uh, but it is a problem that persists. Um, I, I don't see personally any abatement of that um, unfortunate tendency uh, to not receive uh, the best collaboration cooperation from PG&E. So what we do obviously is we, um, do everything we can. Uh, we involve whomever we need to involve to impress upon them the importance of projects, especially projects like these. Not that all projects for the city are not important, but first responder facilities uh, can't very well suffer, uh, you know, unnecessary avoidable delays. Um, and so uh, we continue to fight the good fight. Um, very often, one of the biggest issues uh, in any particular week or month for my managers is how are we going to get PG&E to play ball with us? Um, so as I say, this is not unique to the Easter Bond program. It's present uh, on very nearly every project uh, that we have uh, in our portfolio of, um, of projects. So I just wanted to underscore that point because uh, kind of missed uh, bringing that forward for your understanding. Uh, as I said, you probably heard it before, but until it abates and becomes a, a much more collegial kind of environment, um, we're gonna continue to struggle with them. Um, so this current slide that you're seeing, uh, the next slide up, thank you. As you can see, and as I mentioned at the outset, both these bond programs are very nearly substantially complete. Uh, in 2010, we are at 95% expenditure against appropriation. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. Great, thank you. Uh, in as regards to Easter 2014, uh, we, we aren't at 95%, we're at some percentage less than that, in large part due to the fact that the major projects that we're involved with currently, especially for um, the police and fire, are still well underway to towards, but towards completion in 2021. So as we near uh, the, the uh, well, as we come <laughs> close to 2021 and into 2021, we will see that expenditure against appropriation rising dramatically, both 
uh, the major projects which occupy a substantial sum of the bond, which are the TCFSD and Fire Station 35, uh, will be completed by about spring to summer of 2021. Next slide. But I believe actually this concludes the presentation. The rest are general summaries of both bonds. So thank you very much, uh, commissioners, and uh, we're happy to take any question you may have. I have a question for Michael. Michael, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Um, hi, this is Siobhan speaking. Um, I just got a little lost there when you were talking about the contract relationship. Did you say it was Clark Construction Group and yes, using yes, their yes, subcontractors? Yes, yes. <clears throat> Can you tell me a little bit Clark, more about Clark. how how that works or who those subcontractors are? They do they have a a team of subcontractors that they usually work with? And can you just clarify what you mentioned about? Um, how this contract relationship is a little bit different. Um, like, did they award all the subcontractors compared to something different that typically the city would do on these projects? Right, okay, so when we issued the RFQ and RFP for this project, the contract mechanism was a CMGC contract. And in addition to that, there was a requirement for what we called design build core trade subcontractors. And so sorry, what is, what is a CMG contract? Construction manager slash general contractor. Okay. So that's bringing a general contractor on board early in the design phase of the project to gain from their expertise as builders to guide uh, the design team, the architects and their consultants. Like a value engineering type thing? That's part of the process. Okay. Uh, they, they typically, as you could imagine, um, pretty much every builder will have an opinion about the best way to do things. And so architects often will draw what the architect feels is the best approach. The builder may agree or not agree. So the CMGC contract is trying to gain efficiency by, by bringing the builder on early to gain that builder's expertise. Um, it, it really will guide at the documents and, and save for confusion uh, down the road. That's the intent. Uh, so this, this project was enhanced even further by bringing on the increased knowledge of subcontractors for specific trades, mechanical and plumbing, in this case uh, is Southland Industries. Electrical is Rosenden Electric. Low voltage is a company called WPCS. And the exterior envelope of the building is a company called CS Erectors. So they came on through a bid, bidding process for their pre-construction services joined the, with the architects to coordinate and collaborate to complete the design. So this project, uh, not unusual for many projects during the superheated construction market that we've seen over the last several years, was greatly challenged uh, from a budget standpoint. So we were able to go through several 
design rounds with these contractors to try to make their own systems as efficient as possible and where to cut costs without sacrificing program for the end users. And we've achieved that. So this, this is a, a contract mechanism that's really, really reaching deep into the contracting community to, to pull their knowledge and their expertise to shape the design. Got it. That makes sense. Are there any concerns that having the general that involved in forming the scope of work um, interferes with the process of bidding with, with other potential better subcontractors if, if they're not all kind of working from the same bid perspective because they're forming the bid, the package? Well, other than, other than those core trade subcontractors that I, that I listed, the remaining trades for the project are still bid in the traditional sense. So there's, there's many bid packages that, that have gone out. As a matter of fact, we're, we're not quite done bidding out the project. We're at about 99%. There's still some site work that we're, we're bidding out. So the, the general contractor, Clark Construction in this case, is still forming bid packages um, that, that they bid out for specific scopes of work. It's really just the core trade subcontractors who came on board early and really became part of the design uh, team. Of course, sure. contracted to Clark Construction as opposed to the architects. Yeah, if I could, I'd just like to underscore one particular aspect uh, worth noting, which is that these trade contractors um, are guided by initial design criteria and standards that are defined by the city for the um, elaboration of the design. And so it's not carte blanche for those trade contractors to decide what they do or don't do. Um, it's the city that indicates to them uh, the basis of design for what is to follow under their development. We maintain vigilance on how they evolve that design so that we can be assured that the outcome will be one that we seek. Okay. Right. The core trade subcontractors, when they came on board, had to bid against a set of what we called criteria documents that were developed in this case by the architects and their consultants. So that's really the, the benchmark that every, every decision is made to is checking to, to ensure that everything is in conformance with the, with the early established criteria. Okay. I think that answers my question. Thank you. Thank you. Thank do we, we want to um, have questions from anybody else or move into the liaison report? Does anybody else have a question? Okay, do we have a liaison report for for this yes. presentation? Yes. Okay. yes, this is Lauren Post. And while we're on that slide, um, Michael, any comments on the uh, additional funding sources for that, that deficit? Uh, are you feeling confident that uh, that will be plugged by the sources that, uh, that you all have been discussing for it's probably at least a year or two now? Are those still holding in your view? Yes, as a matter of fact, we're working on uh, some of the funds have already been transferred to the project and we're working on uh, obtaining the remaining of the funds. 
Um, so that's, that's coming to place. Good. Great. So I will give a, a quick liaison report. I want to thank uh, Charles and his team for today's presentation. Um, before I give my short report, I just had a couple of general questions. Um, and this actually pertains to all the bond programs. Of course, it's COVID. Can somebody give me just one or two specific examples on how the cost increase due to COVID in a material way? Obviously, you've got to buy masks or something like that. Okay, I'm talking about... Is it, when you say a project's delayed, is it, say, an area on a site that perhaps a dozen people were working on pre-COVID, now only half a dozen can work on because of social distancing? In other words, give me just a couple examples on, on a material cost increase for uh, San Francisco construction projects because of COVID, if somebody would. Michael, um, why don't you talk about the COVID costs on the TCFSD? Right. So I could give you a couple of examples. Um, for example, you hit on one of them already. Uh, there's a need for the construction crews to exercise social distancing. So that, by its nature, makes the construction process less uh, efficient. Let, um, Clark Construction brought on keep in mind this the size of this site is almost two acres so it's quite quite a large uh, site and there's construction activity all, all over the place there's not just the main three-story building that you see in the in the image there there's there's uh, uh, an evidence vehicle storage area there's different facilities spread across the site so Clark construction brought on a superintendent for example to oversee these COVID compliant construction ac activities and to try to uh, re rework uh, and reschedule activities to make them as efficient as possible while being compliant. So there's, there's costs with the increase uh, employees coming on board. And really for this project, it was a bell curve as, as people were trying to learn how to, how to, how to work with the new restrictions. Um, there was an increase in cost and, and as as people have learned more, uh, the costs have come back down, um, specifically by removing some of the employees that were first brought brought on board as as uh, as they trained other people. Uh, and, and then there's the there's the the costs for these employees. There's there's two employees under Clark on this project that are sterilizers. They're going around the, the entire site all day long and sterilizing tools, um, etc. We have had many cases of uh, positive cases of COVID on this project. Um, there's there's been a spike over the last month. I think we've had four cases uh, over the last month, and probably four before that. So it, it it is something that that's real. There have been days where uh, portions of the day uh, construction was closed down as they uh, Clark uh, dealt with uh, the reports of a. Uh, and, and, uh, a worker testing positive, um, and then there's the supply chain. There are there are certain materials that are uh, in in greater demand, and and so those are uh, slower to get to get to the site. Although we have not we have not e experienced or been informed of any uh, schedule delays to the to the pro overall project schedule, there are some challenges in getting certain materials to the to the site. So just to maybe add uh, one more thing, every project, as you know, is governed by what we call a critical path. 
um, which are a series of activities that must occur precisely according to a particular time or time frame in order to not extend the delivery of the project. Uh, we have not seen to this date um, any valid uh, recital of impact to schedule based on COVID. Uh, we have seen abundant um, requests for uh, costs uh, reimbursement on the variety of things that you've already acknowledged, masks, disinfectant, additional wash stations and such. Uh, we, we do anticipate seeing some uh, requests uh, uh, for cost reimbursement on what, what I consider to be yet to be proven impact of adhering to protocols such as putting on and taking off masks um, things that on the face of it seem fairly innocuous and don't occupy a good deal of time, uh, but that are beginning to emerge uh, as an additive kind of array of, of basic mechanical activities like the putting on of the mask or the washing of the hands or the stopping to take temperature. Uh, you know, you add all those up, arguably they become real, real time and multiplied against dozens or hundreds of workers across weeks or months, it can become a real cost. But we're, we're not seeing uh, the, the reasonableness of some of that because um, it, it, it's all taken in stride and more to the point. Uh, we've not seen actual claims for uh, delay in the delivery of, of activities of particular work, especially as they occur on the critical path. So there's a long, long row to hoe yet in regard to how we see uh, these COVID uh, claims or requests emerge and how we'll address them based on merit. Thank you, that's very interesting, and um, Charles. And it goes to Brian's uh, point earlier, Brian Larkin, about um, all city departments coordinating through the city attorney's office on these sorts of claims, just to make sure everyone is on the same page and, and the city has a unified response. So that's that's very interesting and helpful. Thank you. Um, last general question. I did notice that uh, with the 2020 authorization that we all, um, well, that, that the city approved this year, um, I, I hope Vishad's still on the line. There is um, uh, the first issuance from that new authorization coming early in 2021, it's only for 65 million. Uh, so it's only about 10% of the par amount that the voters did approve for ESER. I was wondering why it's so small, if you're still on the line, Bashad. Uh, yes, uh, I'm, I'm still on the line. And actually it's for 85 million, not to exceed amount. And uh, we are working uh, very closely with, with Charles and his team to, uh, you know, issue issue uh, an appropriate amount for the first issuance that will um, we know we can spend within three years. We expect them to be tax exempt bonds, and uh, because of that, the IRS has certain spending requirements uh, once we issue the bonds, and so we, we want to make sure we adhere to those. Uh, there are, uh, and and I'll let Charles potentially speak to some of the other uh, projects. Uh, I, I know that a, a big chunk of the funds. Uh, we're currently expecting could be uh, used for uh, acquisition of a property, and uh, the details of that are, are still being sorted out. And uh, once once we have a, a real plan um, on the table for that, then, then we can uh, move forward quickly for a second issuance of, of a much uh, more substantial amount. Um, but this is uh, this is the amount we need uh, at the moment to to fund the the projects that we can get underway uh, quickly. And I'll let Charles speak. 
in more detail about the projects. No, that, that's absolutely a fair a summary of where we're at at the moment. It bears mention that uh, the neighborhood fire station component, which will produce uh, the single largest project in the bond, which is the fire training facility replacement for the uh, facility that exists on Treasure Island. That is not present in the first bond sale in large part because the site has not been secured completely. And so we've only uh, sought some monies for very, very initial planning and for reimbursement of pre-bond expenses. Um, had we secured the site already, you would have seen um, a first bond sum two or three times as large as the sum that you see now, which is the 85 million. Um, also the um, PUC is still, if you'll recall from the presentation, spending down on prior ESER bond funds. So there's not an immediate need uh, for large sums for their purposes, but in the second bond sale of ESER 2020, I expect you'll see uh, a much larger number that would be inclusive of both the PUC and the fire training facility project. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Charles and Vishal. That leads nicely into my liaison report, which I promise I'll, I'll make brief. I just want to thank Charles and his team for uh, giving me a tour of some of the Easter facilities where our voter-approved bond funds have uh, either replaced uh, aged facilities or upgraded facilities. I did tour the new Office of the Chief Medical Examiner that Magdalena mentions trying to get gold lead status. And I'll only say it is a very impressive building. Um, I, I know it's something we don't always really think about, but if you were a loved one, um, perhaps is killed in an accident, that you, you're going to care where the, where the corpse goes, and that's where it's going to go. And it's a, a very, um, one of the top now, it turns out, uh, OCME facilities in the world. And um, San Francisco can be proud that we really did uh, get something for our, our, our money with that. It, it was a very interesting tour and uh, a lot of important work for public health and the city goes on there. Um, I also toured the new um, public safety building at 3rd Street in Mission Bay. I'm sure you've all seen it. We saw slides of it today, uh, which is the new SFPD headquarters and command center along with the new Southern District Police Station and Fire Station 4, the new one that replaced that little brick building that was in um, Charles's slides. Uh, again, uh, a, a nice building, uh, well, well uh, functioning well, and uh, a good environment for uh, SFPD to be operating in, um, and for citywide events and, and major events that aren't just one police jurisdiction, the command center uh, was, was very impressive and uh, it's up to the task from, from my eyes. Um, I also toured three uh, district police stations that were upgraded with 2014 bond proceeds in Bayview, the park station over by Kizar, and the central station in North Beach. And I had a quick question, if anybody knows about the Bayview station, Charles or anyone, uh, their generator installation was still in process. I was wondering if that had been completed and was now operative, and if uh, Bayview's water intrusion issues have been resolved. Uh, Commissioner, I'll ask Magdalena Ryer, who is the manager on the on that work, to speak to the to your question. Um, uh, yes, the generator work has been completed. There are just some minor punch list items, but it has been operational. Great. How about the water intrusion? Do you know how their water intrusion issues? There have been some testing for water issues there when I was there. 
Uh, I am not familiar with the water intrusion, but as far as I know, uh, there are no issues that were brought to my attention okay. that would warrant, uh, you know, our uh, sending the, the team to, to, to fix it. Uh, but I can get back to you on that. I can check okay. on that. Or I can follow up. Um, and I just, to, to Charles's earlier point about PG&E and, and uh, changes and things like that, the question about the generator was that the, the technician installing it was just about to pull the trigger and have it operative when some new regulations came out that had to change some of what he was doing. So I do sympathize with when we're trying to bring projects right to the finish line and then all of a sudden there are new regs or requirements that, that need to be met. Um, I'll say that the central station in North Beach, which is one of the busiest uh, police stations in the city, um, to say it's being held together with duct tape is not too much of an exaggeration. It completely needs to be rebuilt. We cannot rebuild it fast enough. I must commend the captain at that station for the um, efficient and uh, uh, upbeat uh, atmosphere I experienced there with everybody working very hard in conditions that no one on this phone call would want to work in, I promise you. So the faster we can get Central Station rebuilt with bond proceeds, the better from my point of view as a citizen. I also toured um, Fire Station 16 in Cow Hollow and the Marina, which is a, a beautiful brand new rebuild. And uh, that contrasted with Fire Station 3 in the Tenderloin, which I also uh, toured, which um, is the busiest fire station in San Francisco and has been deemed uh, by the city to be a, quote, potential collapse hazard. And I must tell you, while I was there, I did say to myself, please let there not be a big earthquake right now. We're all going to die. Uh, again, Fire Station 3, the busiest in the city, on um, Post Street in the Tenderloin, has not been upgraded or rebuilt. I know it's on the city's list, but I just cannot emphasize enough getting these bond proceeds pushed out the door so that some of the most critical police and fire stations in San Francisco are not just upgraded, but that are, you know, torn down and replaced. I mean, this is really is where the age of our city shows itself. But I, I did just want to say that I, I really appreciated the time that the uh, DPW staff and the time that the SFPD and, and the fire, uh, fire stations, fire department staff took to show me these facilities, explain how bond proceeds were uh, expended, what they had actually done, why it made a difference, and uh, really improve the working conditions of our first responders, both their safety and the efficiency of allowing them to do their jobs. So thank you for those tours. They were very informative and thank you for uh, today's presentation. Thank you, Commissioner. Do we have for time for one more question? Of course. Okay, it, and it's a quick one. Um, on the report about the Office of Chief Medical Examiner, I think it was uh, Magdalena Rior said that there were um, some problems getting the gold certification, the gold lead certification. What's the advantage to getting that? What's the advantage to the city to getting that certification? Uh, well, the gold lead certification is part of the contract. is is the It's in the language of the contract. So uh, contractors do not really have a choice. They have to meet that requirement. Got it. Why does the city ask for it? 
Uh, well, you know, sustainable uh, design and construction, that's what we champion and, and support because this is in the best interest of, of the, you know, end users and environment as a whole. So um, that's why we, we, we do uh, support and, and we champion building sustainable buildings. Yeah, and, and I'm not questioning the idea of sustainability, but in the my dealings with the LEED certification go back close to 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, some of the criteria were like, well, is it near a bus line? You know, well, everything's near a bus line. And, and it, it, it didn't really, it, it, you know, it could be like a local bus line where the, the, the headways are 45 minutes or something for the bus. So, Getting those points to me weren't indicative of sustainability. There may be other criteria, and they may have updated some of those criteria that are more relevant to sustainability. And that was the genesis of my question, the background for my question. If the city's asking for something where, you know, the, the benefit of getting the certification is nebulous as far as real effect on sustainability, but you know, like I say, my my. My familiarity with the certification process is dated, so I'll defer to the city's judgment. Yes, if you would like to schedule a separate appointment, I can be happy to walk you through the requirements and how they've been changing. Uh, there's a new version uh, that was issued uh, for the lead uh, requirements, and um, I can assure you everything makes sense, and it, it's all for the betterment of the environment and the people who are working in those buildings so uh, let me know i'm, I'm yeah, well, and be happy to, to discuss it with with you in detail I, I have an interest but i think we'll i'll wait till after the current emergency passes at least a little bit further than it is okay but i appreciate the offer well thank you commissioner well, well i mean as you know there's a platinum level that's above yes. golden um, and it speaks to a higher performing building and a, and a better work environment, so to speak, as Magdalena indicated. Separate from LEED is uh, the, the, the notion of net zero buildings, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which effectively means the building generates its own power. Um, mm -hmm. we're, we're not uh, expected to, to accomplish that, but I suspect that in the coming years, net zero will become a standard for city buildings. That'd be good. You have my undying support for that. Thank you. All right. That, that's all I have. Chair McHugh, would you like me to move forward with public comment? Yeah, I think we're finished with questions. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 146921-9782, then pound and then pound again. If you have, haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comment. Please note that you have three minutes. I'm checking the attendees list now. I do not see any hand raised. So there are no public comment at this, at this time. Would you like to move on to item number six? Please. Presentation from various departments regarding the 2008 and 2012 park bonds, liaison report on the park bonds and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation. 
I'm going to go ahead and pa pass the presentation roll. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, great. All right, I'll get started. Uh, good morning, um, committee members. Uh, my name is Toksu Jike. Uh, I'm the director of uh, Capital Planning, Red Park. Uh, with me here today is um, Antonio Guerra, who's our CFO, and uh, Shannon Kearns uh, from the port. This is a joint presentation of the parks and the port, port bar. Okay, next slide. Next slide. All right, great. Um, so um, just going, just looking back a little bit, uh, the 2008, all of the projects uh, in that bond is complete. All 75 projects are complete. They're open to the public. 99.9% uh, .9 of the bond interest has been spent. Uh, we have about 70,000 left, uh, which is being uh, sort of uh, leveraged uh, for one of our projects, uh, Bernal Trails in the 2020-12 bond. Uh, we will officially close this project uh, uh, in the FY 2021. Uh, for the 2020-12 bond, um, uh, which is the thrust of our presentation today, 87% of the initial bond issuances has been spent or encumbered. Uh, 49 projects are open to the public. Next slide. Um, so 11 named park projects are open to the public, as I sort of indicated. Uh, they include uh, Balboa Park, Gilman, Glen Canyon, Turkide, Joe DiMaggio, Margaret Hayward, uh, Moscone, uh, Mountain Lake, Potrero, South Park, and West Sunset. All the remaining projects are in constructions in the neighborhood park projects. And those include uh, Rossi, Garfield, uh, Judd Christopher, and Willie Wu Wong. All of those projects are in their final phases of completion. I'm happy to sort of announce uh, they're just a couple of months uh, to completion on majority of these projects. Next slide. Uh, just to look at our uh, Let's Play program. Um, this is a public-private uh, partnership uh, that the city embarked upon with uh, the uh, SF Parks Alliance, where we're leveraging uh, about $50 million that's been allocated from the bond um, uh, we're raising close to 11. Uh, our target is to raise about 13 million. Uh, we have raised an additional $11 million to date, uh, which we are using to uh, renovate uh, about 13 playgrounds. Seven of those playgrounds are open to the public, I'm happy to say. Uh, six uh, projects are either active and are scheduled to be completed. 
Um, uh, some of his projects you've probably seen all around the city. Uh, Alice Chalmers, uh, John McLaren, and Group Picnic and Merced Heights opened in the last couple of months. Uh, the Golden Gate Park uh, Panando opened last year. Sergeant McCauley, Washington Square, and West Bottle also, uh, also open to the public. Uh, our active projects are ongoing. Uh, Golden Gate Heights is in construction as I speak. Hertz is in design. Uh, Judah Commons is in construction. Uh, Richmond Playground is in design, and so is uh, the Stone Grove Playground. Uh, this is a really, really um, uh, important sort of model that uh, we're trying to sort of adopt for some of, some of our projects where we're able to sort of leverage over 100% uh, of uh, bond monies to stretch uh, uh, the dollars we have in order to deliver more projects. Next bond. Uh, this is our community opportunity fund uh, uh, project uh, fund. Um, uh, we have uh, 19 projects that have been completed. Uh, this is uh, uh, a program that is backed by popular demand uh, where we sort of uh, work with communities to nominate projects. Uh, uh, we use this to sort of build constituency around our project and stewardships around our projects. It's highly popular. Um, some of the highlights of our projects that are either complete or in construction is the uh, Geneva Carbon, which is uh, substantially complete. Uh, we're working, uh, we're waiting for the, uh, the uh, after the uh, uh, shelter in place, uh, that project, uh, that that project can be open to the public in general. Uh, the Golden Gate Tennis is uh, scheduled to be complete in, in early 2021. Our remaining projects are either in, in design or in construction. Uh, they include Bayview, uh, Fremont Turk, Jury Commons, like said, Boat Dock, and then Water Street Park. Uh, this is an important project, as I said, that allows us to build constituency around our projects the worship around our projects. Next, next slide. Uh, going to the water conservation uh, program. Uh, this is another highly, highly sort of uh, popular program that we've been very successful at. Uh, we have finished all six identified projects are finished under the water conservation program. I am happy to announce uh, and we're proud of this achievement that uh, at the end of this uh, water conserva conservation program, uh, we would have saved over 1.1 million gallons of water every year through this program. Uh, some of the projects uh, include uh, Washington Square, Alta Plaza, uh, Moscone Rec, and Alamo Square. Uh, trails uh, is another sort of part of our program Bucket, uh, Phil Arnold uh, Oakwood uh, Trails is complete. McLaren Park Trails and uh, GGP Middle Lake is ongoing. Uh, we continue to make efforts in uh, forestry program where we continue to sort of address uh, our backlog of uh, uh, in our forestry program. Next. Uh, this next series of slides are sort of uh, this. Uh, before and after pictures uh, of uh, some of our projects. Uh, this is the McLaren 
uh, group picnic uh, open to the public. Uh, this is one of uh, my favorite uh, projects uh, in my neighborhood. Uh, so uh, there's a before and after. It's, an, it's a great, great project in McLaren Park. Next. Uh, West Portal Program, uh, which is part of the Let's Play SF. Uh, this is a before and after uh, opened uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago to the general public also. Next. Uh, Margaret Hayward, uh, which is uh, one of our, uh, this is a before and after. This is the biggest uh, neighborhood park project, uh, close to $27 million worth of improvements. Truly, truly transform that site, uh, whereby we are able to sort of take some of the existing uses in this park uh, uh, to sort of rearrange it uh, to sort of maximize open space. It includes uh, a children's playground, uh, fields, uh, a really, really modern uh, um, uh, building uh, that will be available to the community for numerous, numerous programs. Next. Uh, Kirk Hyde Playground, uh, one of our neighborhood park projects also. Um, uh, this is open to the public and in the tenderloin. We're deeply, deeply elated as to uh, the transformation that we've seen at this park. This is open to the public now. Next. Um, so sort of uh, looking forward, uh, as I said, we are in the throes of uh, sort of wrapping up uh, the 2020-12 bond program, all of the projects and programs that are scheduled to be complete at the end of 2021, uh, in, including our uh, programs in McLaren, Lake Merced, and COF projects. Uh, we reached, uh, recently, uh, the Prop A recently passed, uh, uh, that allocates another $239 million worth of uh, improvements uh, for future projects in our portfolio. Uh, some of the highlights include uh, Buchanan Street Mall, uh, Portsmouth Square, Gene Friend, India Basin, Jackson Playground, um, sort of building upon the successes of the uh, 20, uh, 20, 2008 and 2012 uh, uh, program, which is a combination of uh, neighborhood park projects and programs. Uh, it's been highly successful. We continue to sort of build upon that. Uh, the uh, slightly different thing that we're doing now is to, uh, is a project criteria called project readiness. A lot of these projects that you see, uh, especially the named projects, uh, either in some level of advanced stage of planning and design. What that does for us is that we're able to sort of mitigate risk. Uh, uh, this, um, uh, we have entitlement and community engagement associated with, us, with those projects such that when uh, the bond sale is approved, uh, we're able to sort of deliver the proposed projects immediately. Uh, so um, I think with that, I will turn it over to oh, Shannon uh, for the rest of, of the core projects. Thanks very much, Toast. Can everyone hear me? Yes. Great. 
Okay, um, my name is Shannon Cairns, and I am the lead of the project management office at the port, and I'll be speaking to the, um, the waterfront parks. Uh, on this slide, you can see that the, there were um, 10 waterfront parks funded by the 28 bond, the 2008 bond, and um, nine of the 10 have been completed. The 10th is Tulare Park, which was postponed indefinitely. Um, there are six projects with funding from the 2012 bond. They currently span a variety of, of stages as shown on this slide. Two of the projects are complete. The first one is the Cruise Terminal Plaza. The second is Crane Cove Park. Um, this project is actually um, composed of three separate parts. So the park itself is complete and was open to the public on September 30th. Um, the second component is 19th and Georgia Street. That is currently under construction, and you can see that um, listed on this slide here under construction. And the third component is a public restroom in Building 49, listed on this slide here in Design and Review, or Design and Environmental Review. So the Islaus Creek Improvement Project is in the planning stage. Um, the port is conducting a conceptual design feasibility study for a pedestrian bridge as part of this project. If feasible, we'll seek funding for construction and the design may advance. Agua Vista Park um, is a waterfront park at the southern edge of Mission Bay, listed here in Design and Environmental Review. Um, this project is, has been, um, is being combined with the Mission Bay Ferry Landing for construction advertisement. And um, the, the construction for Mission Bay Ferry Landing and Agua Vista Park is um, planned for the 2023 in-water work window. This is a revised construction schedule due to um, funding constraints for Mission Bay Ferry Landing. Um, the Pier 27 um, public art project shown here in Design Environmental Review um, is underway. The Port and um, San Francisco Arts Commission began the artist selection process for this project um, this summer in 2020 and anticipate installation of the art in February 2023. Moving on to projects in construction. So Heron's Head Park um, is, uh, construction is anticipated to begin in the first quarter of 2021. And um, I already mentioned that the, um, the uh, 19th and Georgia Street project is um, the third or the second component of the um, Crane Cove Park project. And so that is currently under construction as well. Um, can you move to the next slide, please? So this slide shows the schedules for these projects. Um, you can see that Harrison Park and all three components of the Crane Cove Park Master Project will be completed in 2021. The Pier 27 Art Project will be complete in early 2023 and Agua Vista Park will be completed as a part of the Mission Bay Ferry Landing by early 2024. So um, I'm happy to answer any questions. Tokes, you're muted. Uh, that concludes our presentation. Happy to take any questions.
if we don't have any questions, should we go straight to the liaison report? Bart, are well, you done? Liaison yes, I, am. I, was, okay. I was waiting to see if anybody had any questions before I, I spoke up. <clears throat> um, thank you so much for the presentation, uh, folks. Shannon, we, we haven't actually, I don't think we've had an opportunity to really talk. So I'll be looking forward to speaking with you uh, in these coming weeks to get in more in depth on the, uh, the port. Um, so as far as my, my report though, in, when it comes to the, the parks, um, Basically, you know, you, you can see where our money's going. Uh, I see listed on the upcoming projects, Bayview Park. That's actually my neighborhood park, which was being put into good use as it is now on a near daily basis as a way to step outside for uh, my girlfriend's children when they're in school. That was their PE until school got going. Uh, you know, the, the parks are part of uh, an important part of the, the city of San Francisco. Um, a lot of times people give me flack about living in San Francisco. You know, they say, you don't have no backyard, no front yard. I said, the city, the city is my backyard and front yard. I can step out my front door and go to the beach, to, to a, a trail. You know, uh, unfortunately these days our, our outside dining, our, you know, our dining out is, is you know, uh, limited. Um, so uh, McLaren Park, actually, I looked at that park when I was first uh, appointed as a liaison, and it was actually very much like that picture, but it had the the tape up, the caution tape, because it was under construction, and it, it has, you know, the the completion of it is definitely a much uh, improved uh, place to that you can actually do something and kick dirt. Um, so ultimately, um, I can see the, the our, our tax money being put to good use. It, it, this is a big picture look. Um, you know, the one thing that was in our discussion uh, with uh, my discussion with Tokes and Antonio mm -hmm. is the the increase of park use after these renovations. For example, with McLaren Park, um, uh, was mentioned is you know maybe up to two hundred percent increase. You know, basically nobody's using it, and now somebody has some place to go and there's an activity to do. Um, you know, so I. I think we're getting close to the end of our, our hearing, so I won't drag this out. Um, as my response, you know, as the oversight, the citizen oversight, I, all I can say as a citizen of San Francisco that it seems to me that our, our investment in our parks is, is being shown to us and that, uh, you know, lessons learned from the very beginning. Uh, you know, Tokes, Antonio, we, we had a great discussion on uh, just becoming more and more effective and I, I'm seeing even in their presentation, it is um, the last couple of years, it's, they've been getting uh, more and more effective. So thank you. That's all I got to say. Siobhan, I have one question. I'm sorry I didn't jump in at the right time. May I ask it? Please. Please. Um, for Mr. GK, I had a question about the Margaret Hayward uh, playground. Yes. Where is that located, please? Oh yes, so it it is uh, located uh, next to the Department of Emergency Management. Uh, it, it is bounded by Golf, Golden Gate, and Turk. It is almost like a two-city block, 
Uh, it is highly, highly transformative park, uh, as I sort of indicated. Yeah, that's a great sort of uh, view of it. Uh, so that to the to the slight right hand corner is the DEM building. And uh, what we've done is really taking the existing users of, of this park uh, to sort of uh, emphasize um, importance of sort of uh, open space. We've left some of the, uh, the play fields uh, in their original location. We've rearranged the spaces to really, truly, truly accentuate uh, open space on, on this land. Uh, there's the the playground that's closer to Turk uh, where you enter, and then you sort of have this sort of really uh, promenade walk through alongside the park uh, to the clubhouse, then to Golden Gate. So it's a, it's quite uh, it's a, it's an amazing and amazing transformative site. Uh, so I, I guess what I, I was trying to uh, also determine. It, 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 now I understand its location. Which neighborhoods does it serve? I mean, I guess it borders what Hayes Valley, Western Edition, yeah. Tenderloin, because that is a large, very big, busy commercial area. Because you're near Van Ness yeah. and that whole commercial corridor. So, is yeah. it really designed for people who live in other neighborhoods to come to, or is it more? Is there enough density and families and children just in the surrounding area to use this very large park? You know, I, I truly believe in as much at it as it is a neighborhood park. Um, I live in the Bayview and I go there quite a bit. Um, so, and I have heard uh, folks uh, in the Bayview that go there. Uh, it's a destination park. Uh, it's a combination of a destination park and a neighborhood park. It's got this sort of, with the uh, children's playground, it's got this sort of uh, scale that allows it to be sort of neighborhood sort of focused. But the plaza itself, the plaza itself, it's sort of big enough sort of for sort of uh, big open events. So yeah. it's, it's a combination. Yeah, that's good. That's great. Given its budget, that's nice to see that it, that people know about it who don't live near it and that yes. it, it is being used by everyone, other people. Thank yes. you. Yes. And, and to be honest, um, this project has, uh, I have gotten more sort of feedback from folks that don't, that don't live in the neighborhood that have passed by and said, whoa, this is a huge transformation. So uh, we see parks like this as sort of like a, a day in the park for families. And what, what I mean by that is that where families can come on a Saturday and, and be able to sort of participate in the numerous activities. Uh, we've got a children's playground, we've got a, uh, a under 10 soccer field uh, to this to the north of it, we've got a big soccer field, river soccer field to the to the west. So uh, it's 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 really it's really an, an amazing an amazing park. Hey, folks, can I can I uh, add something as a user of Margaret Hayward Park as a former softball player who's probably too old for the game? But I played at this park prior to the renovation. The fields themselves were grass. They were uh, not able to be used for the entire year and the new surfacing will allow for all year use um i can tell you that the fields are used by everyone in the city uh softball players and now sacred heart prep uh assisted with this renovation 
Um, and the fields look spectacular. And Tokes is right, that promenade uh, that, that connects um, the two sides of the park is fabulous because it used to feel just, it was an ominous feeling when you walk there at night. It was not enticing. And the fact that there is now a playground there is uh, just a night and day difference between the old park, which felt very broken up in pieces, and now it's just everything's connected, everything's new, and it's a gathering place for the neighborhood itself and people around the city. And so I say that as someone from North Beach who does not live directly near the park, but uses the park. Yeah, and if I can sort of also add to that, um, this is the biggest project in our program this, this time around. Um, and we were able to achieve that uh, work uh, in being super, super, super creative. Um, about $50 million of this is coming from the bond. Uh, we were able to sort of leverage uh, the market Octavia impact fees uh, uh, north of like eight and $9 million to be able to deliver this project. We, we also partnered with uh, Sacred Heart, which is sort of right across the street. They donated another $1.5 million towards the fields. Uh, we leverage some of our open space money in order to get this transformation truly, truly done. Um, we're realizing now that you cannot rely just on uh, just bond funds. It's important to be able to sort of leverage those funds uh, in order to have an impact uh, where it's needed. Thank you. Do we have any other questions from any members? No, I, I have one last question. You had mentioned um, a partnership with the San Francisco Parks Alliance, but now that I'm scrolling back through the presentation, um, I'm not seeing much information about that. Can you just tell me a little bit more about that partnership? I don't know a lot about the Parks Alliance. Sure, sure, great. So um, uh, as part of the 2012 bond, um, there was a pot of money, about $50 million, uh, that was allocated to improving some of our really um, uh, needy parks. Uh, we used to call them failing playgrounds, and I don't like that name. Uh, so uh, during that uh, community engagement process, uh, we were able to identify about 13 playgrounds uh, that was uh, through the task force that was put together. And what we realized was that uh, with the $50 million that was allocated from the bond, uh, we would not, we, we would only be able to sort of uh, renovate about six or seven playgrounds. Uh, so we felt we embarked on this sort of public private partnership with Cox Alliance uh, to raise another 11 to $12 million such that uh, we can make those funds go further. Uh, with that effort, uh, we're not only sort of renovating about six or seven playgrounds, as I said, we're renovating about 13. Uh, we're uh, raised 
uh, $11 million so far, uh, leveraging the existing uh, Let's Play monies uh, to uh, be able to deliver those projects. Seven of those projects have been uh, open to the public, as you'll see here all around the city. Uh, we are in design or construction uh, for the lot of uh, phases of, of the rest of those projects, uh, which we are confident we'll be able to deliver. So how, how does that money get raised? Um, it's it's a, it's a, it's a raised through some Cisco Parks Alliance, which is which is our partner organizations. So through uh, philanthropy, uh, just donations, uh, uh, also uh, the Parks Alliance through their um, uh, yearly sort of uh, 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 parties, uh, they're able to sort of raise additional dollars that's contributed towards this fund. Okay. Thank you. Sure. I have to say this is my favorite, favorite um, bond to listen to because I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old who have a lot of energy. So this is really important to me. <laughs> and, yeah. and I visited yeah. a lot of these playgrounds as a child. I, I didn't see the Diamond Heights construction project on here, but that must be fall under a different category. But um, I think that this is a really important bond for the whole city. Um, yes, it is. And I'm looking, yes, it is. Yeah, I'd like to learn more about about this, and um, I think we should. Where, where is the Diamond Heights playground? Is that in a different project category? So uh, the Diamond Heights is not um, in this uh, okay. list. Um, as you would know, we have. Uh, just for just big picture, uh, we usually have more sort of need than we have resources. And what sure. we do through a community process is to sort of help identify uh, the needs and ensure that we are equitably sort of uh, spending this monies all around the city as appropriate. Uh, so Great. some of some of the criteria could be if if uh, um, a particular area has you know, two out of three play playgrounds are in decent shape. Um, uh, it's important that we also ensure we look at areas that do not have any playgrounds uh, that are, you know, uh, functional. So there's a, there's a huge uh, sort of thoughtful sort of process that we go through to sort of identify projects that uh, uh, would uh, be eligible for improvements. Okay. Do we want to? Um, do we have any other questions from any other members, or should we move to public comment? Uh, Chair McHugh, this is Peg Stevenson. I just wanted to augment what Tokes had said. If people are not aware, the Parks Alliance serves as fiscal sponsor for many small um, organizations across the city where there's neighborhood fundraising or other philanthropy going on that's focused on a particular area or a project. Um, so that's one of the ways they work, just to let people know that. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. I know it gets complicated to to try and um, filter what the bond money is, is going towards and what money from other groups like the Parks Alliance or the Port or other city funds um, and try and figure out what where our money is being spent and how, how just to make sure that it's being spent, how the voters approved. 
when it's kind of mixed into the same pot as a lot of other funding sources. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, slightly. That's a good way to. So what? So what happens in that situation when you know if our um, if our goal today is to to monitor the bond funds? Are all those funds kind of mixed together and do we need to look at the whole picture or are they all kept separate to just supplement what the bond money is is being set aside for? Um, and Antonio, feel free to opine on this. Uh, the way we look at it is that uh, your purview is to the funds that's allocated through the bond. Uh, but I, I also think um, it's a win-win for us if we are able to sort of leverage those bond monies and, and raising additional monies uh, to uh, be able to achieve uh, improvements at our parks. And we're very sort of uh, prudent uh, in the way we uh, spend those monies. Uh, it's, we're accountable uh, to this body and other project stakeholders in how we're spending those monies. Uh, Antonio, did you want to say anything? I do, Tokes. Thank you, uh, Antonio Guerra, Capital Finance Manager for Rec Park again. So, C. Gobach is focused on the 2008 and 2012 parks uh, bonds, and we present this information strictly on the projects that are part of those bonds, but those projects are supplemented by a variety of sources, including general fund, open space, partnerships with the San Francisco Parks Alliance, state grant funding, um, and also development fees. And so all those sources go into these projects. So Tokes already mentioned Margaret Hayward, which included funding from a variety of sources, specifically for the Parks Alliance. As part of the $15 million, the planned $15 million fundraising campaign for the Let's Play SF program, and it's 15.5 million of bond funding, plus the goal was $15 million of private fundraising. We track all of those sources, um, both in our accounting system, and the Parks Alliance also has uh, tracking mechanisms. And we work together to ensure that uh, those pledges to a specific park must go to a specific park. So everything is, um, everything is tracked as part of our city, we have a city grant process where the funds have to go to a specific park. So, um, and the Parks Alliance is tracking that. And I think in general, when you're talking about mixing funds, we do report it on GOBOC. We have a bond budget versus actual, as well as other sources. And there's also a revenue page, which shows it's somewhat high level grants, development fees, general fund open space. It doesn't go into the nitty gritty of exactly uh, how many specific grants went to a specific project. We're happy to provide whatever information you might need um, to, uh, to really examine these projects, but we, we definitely track things because we're legally required to. Yeah, and, and, and on all of these projects, we do have an accept and expand um, provision uh, that is approved by the Rec and Park Commission that allows us to take these funds and spend it um, accordingly also. Yeah, that all makes sense. I mean, when we're talking about parks and playgrounds for kids and um, partners and philanthropy, it's all positive and it's all good. 
I guess what I just want to have clarity on and make sure that I understand is from the C. Gobuck perspective, when I take my kids to the park, I know um, this is the amount of bond money that was was set aside, allocated for this playground, and and the voters anticipated slides, swings, and trees, and everything else, which is a bonus and great, came from somewhere else. Then then we don't really need to look at that. But I that's what makes these bonds complicated sometimes. Is you need to kind of understand all the different parties involved and how they cross over or do not cross over. Um, sure, thank you. So, that was my only question, but I think you answered it. Thank you. Love that the playgrounds are open again. <laughs> so that's great. Uh, yes, us too. Okay. Uh, in the context of uh, COVID, um, we're realizing the importance that uh, parks play uh, for mental health all throughout here and keeping families in the city. Yeah, yeah, they're very important. Um, okay, thank you. Do we have any other questions from um, any other committee members? Going once, going twice, should we move to public comment? Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 146-921-9782, then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comment. Please note you have three minutes. Checking the attendee list now. Just going to give them another few seconds to see if they have any hand raised. There are no hand raised. No public comment. Would you like me to move on to item number seven? Yes, please. Presentation from the city service auditor regarding the whistleblower program. Liaison report on the whistleblower program and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation and report. Steve, I'm going to go ahead and pass you the presentation role. Great. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Great. And I'll uh, wait until uh, the team, I think, uh, okay, the uh, presentation is up. Uh, good morning, committee members, um, Chair McHugh, uh, Vice Chair Natoli, uh, members of the committee, uh, Mark De La Rosa, Acting Director of Audits for the Controller's Office, City Services Auditor. I'm joined today by Dave Jensen, our uh, lead manager for our whistleblower program. Um, Dave will be presenting on our uh, key whistleblower program activities and updates um, with a focus on the annual report that we issued back in September for the fiscal year 1920. Uh, some of you probably also know that we just recently issued this morning our quarter one FY 2021 uh, whistleblower update, which uh, covers July through September. Um, we will be um, reporting on that on, on a future um, 
um, session, but today we will focus on the annual report for last fiscal year. Uh, before I turn it over to uh, to Dave for the presentation, just wanted to say thank you to um, this committee, uh, in particular our liaisons, um, uh, Chair McHugh and Member Mills, uh, for your continued support and leadership in, in meeting with us and providing us with, with input through through these uh, last few months, um, especially during uh, during these COVID times. Uh, without further ado, I'll um, turn it over now to uh, Dave Jensen. Great, thank you, Mark. Good morning, commissioners. I uh, want to uh, echo Mark's thanks to Chair McHugh and uh, Member Mills, uh, who we last met with on the 7th of December. Um, we value your partnership with us very much. Um, all right, so we'll start with the first slide today. Uh, this is just a little bit of background for some of you who may or may not be more uh, familiar with the whistleblower program. Uh, the authority for the program investigations is derived from both state and city law. Uh, California Government Code Section 53087.6 empowers the city and county auditor to maintain the whistleblower program to receive information regarding allegations of fraud, waste, or abuse by local government employees. Uh, the San Francisco Campaign and Government Code uh, Article 4 directs the controller as the city services auditor to administer the program and to investigate whistleblower complaints, uh, which we now refer to as reports. Uh, San Francisco Charter Appendix F uh, states that the controller shall have timely access to all records and documents, with some exceptions, that the controller deems necessary to complete the inquiries and reviews required by Appendix F. Uh, this section also makes confidential all of our drafts, notes, preliminary reports, all of our studies, our audits, our investigations, uh, with very few exceptions as well. Uh, we would want to note that the Campaign and Government Conduct Code was amended in December 2018, uh, with those changes going to effect last year. Uh, these changes expanded whistleblower protections to include contractors and placed new retaliation reporting obligations on city employees. On to the next slide. Per the Charter, uh, the whistleblower program is charged with investigating or otherwise attempting to resolve reports concerning the misuse of city funds, improper activities by city officers and employees, deficiencies in the quality and delivery of government services, and the wasteful and inefficient government practices. Next slide. Also per the charter, not all reports received by the whistleblower program are to be investigated by the program. The charter mandates that whistleblower, <coughs> excuse me, refer reports that Another city department is required uh, by federal, state, or local law to adjudicate uh, complaints that may be resolved through a grievance mechanism established by a bargaining unit or a contract, any allegations that involve violations of criminal law, any allegations that are subject to an existing investigation, and allegations um, suggesting violations of governmental ethics laws. Next slide. <clears throat> Uh, the whistleblower program staff has changed a bit since we last presented before this committee, uh, yours truly uh, being one of the bigger changes. Um, Steve Flaherty, who had led the program for years, has moved on to another role uh, within the city, uh, and I became acting lead audit manager for the program. Uh, Tiffany Wong is the acting audit manager for the program, so our deputy. Uh, also working the whistleblower complaints and reports that we receive are Errol Carr, Stephen Munoz, who is working the slide deck today. Thank you, Stephen. Matthew Thomas, William Zhao, and Majita Wesley. Um, and now we'll uh, go on to a review of some of our program activities for fiscal year 1920. 
In fiscal year 1920, the whistleblower program received 599 new reports, which is a 19% increase from the previous fiscal year. The whistleblower program has received more reports each fiscal year since year 12-13. There are several factors that can influence the volume of reports we received, and we do not attribute the volume of reports received to any one specific factor. Some of those factors uh, that affect report volume can include how the whistleblower program is being publicized, uh, the internal organizational culture of an agency or department. There are also some external factors, um, such as the economy and certainly the current COVID-19 health emergency. A high volume of reports can mean that the hotline is working as planned, uh, that there is greater awareness of the hotline, or that city managers are setting the proper tone to staff and reinforcing internal reporting mechanisms, including the whistleblower program. Um, just as a quick aside, uh, we did release, uh, release our Q1 report for fiscal year 2021 today. Uh, and just uh, for your knowledge, uh, we received 142 reports in the first quarter of this year. Um, that uh, report is now live on our website uh, for anybody to take a look at. Next slide. Uh, in fiscal year 1920, we started with 91 open complaints reports. Uh, during the year, we received 599 reports and closed 585. Uh, so we began fiscal year 21, 2021 uh, with 105 open reports. Uh, currently, we have uh, approximately 96 open reports. Next slide. The majority of the reports we receive are through our online web form. Uh, the program uses multiple intake channels to ensure the program is readily accessible to potential reporters and available to them in which they are uh, in a manner in which they are comfortable. Regardless of the reporting channel used, uh, every report is assigned a unique tracking number and is systematically reviewed so it can be resolved as efficiently and effectively as possible. Next slide. The whistleblower program closed those 585 reports in fiscal year 1920 and did so in an average of 64 days. The program closed 464 or 79% of those 585 reports within 90 days of receipt, nearly achieving its goal to close at least 80% of all reports within 90 days. The whistleblower program recognizes that if reports are not resolved in a timely manner, reporters may conclude their allegations are not being taken seriously. Uh, there are a number of factors that can influence a report closure time. Uh, some of those factors include the complexity of the report's allegations, the number of allegations made in the report, uh, the availability of corroborating witnesses and or evidence, and also the availability and ability of city employees to work from home during a pandemic to resolve these complaints. Next slide. About the 585 reports closed, over half 318 or 54% reached closure after an investigation. Investigation includes research or other preliminary information developed in determining whether a full investigation is warranted or possible. Whistleblower program staff leads certain investigations, whereas others may be referred to another city department involved in the allegation or with jurisdictional oversight. Coordinating with other departments leverages the expertise of all involved and utilizes resources efficiently to ensure allegations are resolved in a very timely manner. Management of the department associated with the report must respond to the whistleblower program on any actions taken in response to the allegations. Each one of these responses is reviewed by program staff before we consider a case closed. 
Next slide. This chart summarizes the disposition of closed cases dating back to fiscal year 16-17. Not all reports received by the whistleblower program are appropriate for whistleblower program investigation. Having the whistleblower program as the city's central endpoint, uh, excuse me, central point for initial report intake ensures that systemic issues and risk trends are identified promptly so that city management can begin to address them. Next slide. Of the 318 reports closed after investigation in fiscal year 1920, 106 of them, or 33%, resulted in a department taking a corrective or preventative action. The whistleblower's program to substantiate allegations increases when employees are familiar with the program's jurisdiction and are aware of common fraud schemes. To that end, the whistleblower program increased its efforts to educate employees by issuing bulletins about costly and common occupational frauds. The program has issued bulletins on construction material frauds, supply chain fraud, incompatible activities, overtime abuse, bid rigging, grant misuse, slip purchasing, and mischaracterized expenses. Next slide. Um, this year, we also established a public integrity tip line in response to the federal criminal charges filed against the former director of San Francisco Public Works, Mohammed Nuru, the controller and the city attorney began a joint public corruption investigation and created a public integrity tip line to gather information related to the ongoing investigations. The tip line receives information via a dedicated phone number and email address and is operated by whistleblower program staff. Through uh, the end of the first quarter, 2021, the tip line has received 60 tips. These tips are carefully reviewed to determine whether the information they contain could be used for the joint public corruption investigation, or if those tips are more appropriately investigated by another governmental agency. Next slide. Um, some of our completed initiatives for fiscal year 1920 included uh, closing out 79% of the 585 reports closed uh, within 90 days of their receipt. Uh, we did issue four quarterly reports on the status of the program activities. Uh, we presented two webinars well attended by um, members of the oversight and uh, accountability community uh, across North America and even beyond. Uh, one in November of 2019 on guarding credibility and the second in June of 20. Uh, 20 using root cause analysis to enhance your anti-fraud and ethics process. Um, we have uh, continued our efforts to ensure a best-in-class program um, by uh, sharing our knowledge via these webinars, but also by facilitating some of the group sessions on leadership uh, at the past Western Intergovernmental Audit Forum that was held in Sacramento in October of last year. Next slide. Um, wanted to share with you some of our fiscal year 2021 initiatives. Uh, for investigations, we're aiming to close out 75% of whistleblower cases within 90 days. Uh, we plan on issuing quarterly reports on the status of the program, and we just uh, issued the Q1 report earlier this morning. Um, some of our ongoing efforts to ensure a best-in-class program, uh, we're currently in the process of updating our eight-year-old case management system. The system upgrade will refresh our intake system and include input from a web accessibility coordinator to ensure our program is available to all who wish to use it. The upgrade will also improve the program's ability to streamline and report out data 
resulting in more in-depth information to include in our quarterly reports. We're currently deep into beta testing for the new system and plan to push it live in early 2021. On November 10th, the whistleblower program staff hosted its annual department liaison training on the topic of conducting investigations remotely. We had more than 90 attendees, including uh, Chair McHugh and committee member Mills. Thank you for that. Uh, whistleblower program maintains a robust staff training program to learn about and incorporate leading practices and fraud hotline operations and investigative procedures. Uh, last year or last week, uh, we did three separate hours of training. Um, and so it's something that we take very seriously. Um, additionally, uh, program staff was recently asked to present our quarterly reports and on uh, other operational practices at the Ethics Commission meeting held on November 13th. Uh, we will continue our webinars this year. Uh, the first one will be held on January 7th on effective investigative report writing. Um, and we have yet to schedule the second one. Um, but if you would be interested in joining us for that session on the 27th, uh, please do get in touch with us. Um, you can find a uh, next slide and you can find the best way to get in touch with both Mark and myself on that last slide there. Uh, thank you. It's been a pleasure to uh, present this information to you and I look forward to answering any questions that you might have. Do we want to take questions first or do the liaison report? I have a quick question, if you didn't mind, before the liaison report. Sure. Um, so thank you for this. Uh, this. This speaks to the compliance professional in me. So this is stuff I know and am near and dear to in terms of a lot of this. Uh, kind of one of the things I was wondering about, I know there it's really hard to do with stuff like this. Um, but in terms of like the dispositions, I definitely saw that you had, you know, goals when it comes to close rates. Did you have any any sort of similar goals with dispositions or are you, um, you know, is that kind of still up in the air? I know it's been going on for several years now, but it, it can be hard to set kind of an expected, uh, we're going to close out X with this disposition of, you know, investigated um, with this kind of stuff. So just curious if you had anything like that as well. Sure. Um, we don't have a, a, a goal set for uh, outcomes. Um, the outcomes are going to be what the outcomes are going to be. Um, and we'll, we'll go where that leads us. Uh, what we have found is that uh, within the last several years of data that we've been uh, been collecting and publishing in these reports, uh, that we stay within a band around 30 to 35%. Um, and so it'll go up and down from year to year, just depending on what, what we're finding and the uh, disposition, like where the facts lead us. Um, so we don't have a set number, but we've found that we're kind of in that 30 to 35% band historically. Thank you. This is Bart uh, Pantoa, if I may. Chair, I have a question about, uh, could you define for me uh, flip purchasing? It's one of the things you described as possible fraud. Sure. Yeah, split purchasing occurs uh, when uh, an agency is trying to get around a, a spending limit. Typically that'll be in the Prop F um, with that $10,000 threshold uh, before it uh, requires additional scrutiny. Um, and I can think of an instance where, um, uh, an agency wanted to uh, 
give a contract out for basically a $16,000 job, uh, but didn't want the additional scrutiny. Uh, so what they did was have the vendor contractor split the purchase order into two separate bids. And so that would be what we consider split purchasing. Um, so instead of one $16,000 invoice to pay, uh, that would trigger the $10,000 threshold. Uh, they ended up with two invoices for 8,000 each. And so that would be an example of what we consider uh, split purchasing. Thank you. I misheard you. I thought you said flip with an F. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> split. But I appreciate that description. It helps me a lot. Thank you. Sure. Absolutely. We do the liaison report, Peter. Sure, let's do it. Good morning again, everybody. Um, three points that uh, we'd like to cover. Uh, this is uh, Chair McHugh and I together are uh, liaisons to the whistleblower program. And Shimon, it's been a pleasure working with you. Um, it, I think actually it's a, it's a good model to have two liaisons on one topic. I think in our case, at least it's worked out very well. Um, we'd like to share some observations uh, as well as we'd like to share what it is that we have actually done, what our activities have been in order to generate these observations that we'll share with you this morning. And then finally, a third point to uh, share some ideas about what we think we should be doing uh, in the CPAC committee and with the liaisons uh, going forward with respect to the whistleblower uh, program. So number one, uh, what activities have we done? Uh, well, uh, Dave already just mentioned, uh, we have been participating in the program's webcasts and that has been helpful and it's, and it's great that the program does that. Uh, we have been meeting uh, with the program with uh, Mark and Dave and others quarterly. Uh, we have gotten files from the program of dozens of actual whistleblower uh, reports, uh, complaints, if you will. And we've gone through them uh, quite studiously uh, to ensure that uh, we conclude that the whistleblower program is adequately and appropriately uh, pursuing whistleblower uh, reports, at least based on what we can see in the files. And then finally, in conjunction with the quarterly meetings that we have with the program, we've been uh, reviewing draft reports, uh, like the one uh, Dave said was just released for the most recent quarter. Uh, we have the opportunity to review those reports, uh, poke at them, ask questions, and that has been helpful as well. So those are the typical activities that um, Chair McHugh and I have been doing on an ongoing basis uh, since we became um, the liaisons for the whistleblower program. And so our observations, point number two, what are, based on all that activity, what observations are we forming about the program? Um, I think first and foremost, uh, we conclude that the program is well-managed, that the um, the employees working in the whistleblower program are professional and serious about what they are doing. Uh, overall, uh, in conjunction with that, uh, we would say 
We believe that the program is well aligned with its uh, Charter Appendix F mission. Uh, what the program is supposed to be doing, it's striving to do exactly that. Uh, with respect to the investigations it does, um, it acts on those investigations that are within its scope. Uh, a number of investigations get passed to other departments, other parties, and sometimes there just isn't enough information with which to conduct an investigation. But where something appropriately follows, excuse me, where something appropriately falls into the whistleblower program lap, uh, they are doing uh, thorough investigations, we believe. You know, if there's a rabbit hole to go down, uh, they go down that rabbit hole. So that's all good. Uh, finally, I think we'd also note that it's been great to see how the program with respect to staffing and activities has flexed uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic. It hasn't been business as usual and the program has adapted effectively. Um, before looking forward to where we think the program, or rather where we think uh, Siegelbach should be headed with respect to the whistleblower program, uh, we did want to make a comment. You know, given the current environment of criminal investigations, allegations of corruption in the city and so forth, I think one reasonably may ask, one reasonably should ask, so where has the whistleblower program been with respect to some of these activities? And uh, it's important to note that there is a defined scope of the whistleblower program. And so it is not the whistleblower program that is necessarily uh, with the jurisdiction to pursue investigations of certain activities that might fall in that category of, of corruption and, and criminal proceedings. Secondly, it's also important to realize that if somebody does not file a report with a whistleblower program, then the whistleblower program has nothing to investigate. Uh, that said, it's great that the whistleblower program is, is part of, uh, has this special hotline uh, that went into effect, and that, in fact, as Dave noted, has uh, generated some additional uh, inputs. And then we saw, to my prior point, how many of those actually diverted to uh, city attorney, for example, or other areas than the whistleblower program, and the whistleblower program is left with just a very few um, claims coming in, reports coming in from the hotline for itself to investigate. And then finally, the whistleblower program went back, uh, I believe it's uh, over the course of the past few months and looked at dozens of reports that had been previously investigated that for example, from uh, San Francisco EUC to look for uh, where there was potential uh, relevant issues around uh, senior management activity being reported on. You know, was there something missed? And has concluded that no, uh, the, the reports were investigated as the whistleblower program is supposed to and did not come up with uh, findings that are relevant and it, or, or that it missed. Um, so I think Chair McHugh and I are, in conclusion, comfortable with how the program is being managed and conducts its activities. And indeed, it does not investigate, cannot investigate 
everything, but where it does have the jurisdiction and the responsibility and a report has been made, the investigations, uh, in our view, are being uh, appropriately and thoroughly pursued. Finally, going forward, uh, the, the third and final point, um, Chair McHugh and I have been um, talking about and looking to um, promote a study, a benchmarking study, if you will, about the whistleblower program relative to best practices. And that's something that we wanted to have done uh, by an independent party, uh, independent of the city and of the whistleblower program. And we've had some discussions um, with, um, uh, with respect to that, but not made progress, <clears throat> excuse me, but not been able to see progress being made with respect to getting a list of potential vendors and an RFP out to actually, <clears throat> again, I apologize, to actually engage a independent third party in conducting this best practices slash um, benchmark uh, review of the program. And then more recently, we've been thinking uh, another thing that would be important for, uh, uh, for study would be something along the lines of an employee opinion survey to assess what city employees are thinking about the program, how much confidence they have in it and in confidentiality, because while we recognize the whistleblower program itself is doing good outreach to promote the program, to assure employees of its confidentiality and so forth, we don't really know from the employee perspective what they're thinking, uh, how willing they are to use the whistleblower program, and if not so willing, if they don't have so much confidence in it, uh, why not? And then act upon that. So those are a couple of initiatives, uh, one older that we haven't been able to see progress on, one newer that really we have not thoroughly discussed yet, but I think would be a good path forward for the Siegelbach with respect to its oversight of the whistleblower program. That concludes uh, my uh, hour liaison report, uh, open to questions or comments. I'd like to comment, even though you just covered everything beautifully that we, we would like to say, I'd just like to comment that this may be Peter's last meeting and how much I appreciate all the work you've done and how much I've enjoyed being co-liaison with you. Um, I've learned a lot and I think you've been such a great asset to this committee and to the whistleblower program liaison role um, I so appreciate all the time and energy you've put in and all of your thoughtfulness. And I thank you personally for being such a good co-liaison to me and a support. Um, and we will miss you. So. Well, thank you very much, Shuan. You're exceedingly sweet. I appreciate that. <laughs> I expect you to still participate, though. <laughs> so, um, and going from that, I'd also like to thank Dave. Um, Member Mills and I have worked very closely with Dave for a long time now, and I really appreciate your presentation and your professionalism and your responsiveness and, frankly, your openness to answer any of our questions um, and to talk through a lot of the issues that are going on in the city right now. I really have a lot of confidence in, um, in the whistleblower program, and I hope that by stating that publicly that that 
that I can reiterate what Member Mills said in the liaison report that um, our program, no matter how good of a job they do, they're only as good as the um, tips or whistleblower complaints that they get. And um, part of what we are hoping to achieve going forward is to encourage members of the public, um, city employees to report any wrongdoing that they see whether it's on a small scale or a large scale, because um, even if you see something small, um, all of these tips add up to a bigger picture. And Dave can and his team have done a great job at putting them together. So um, I encourage, I commend the program and thank Dave and encourage um, its use. So part, so part of what Member Mills and I have discussed, as he said, is finding ways to further encourage um, its use with city employees, whether that's communication or outreach or whatever that's going to be. That's one of our goals moving forward that I hope to carry forward after Member Mills is gone. That will be our focus. So um, any other member comments? I I have a question. This is Lauren Post. Um, your recommendation regarding an outside consultant to conduct a best practices survey, is there a reason that we think we aren't adhering to best practices? I just get nervous when I think about spending taxpayer money on a benchmarking survey we may or may not need. I do not believe there's anything that Chair McHugh and I have seen that would suggest to us that we are diverging from best practices. Uh, I think we see the initiative more as just a healthy, uh, independent third party expert look at the program to make sure we're not missing some opportunities to perhaps do even better. Yeah, and continuing on that thought, even just that, that good government um, uh, study hopefully will, if nothing else, provide more confidence in the public's use and confidence in the program. Um, and another note I'd, I'd just like to mention is that um, member Chu and I have been talking a lot about Box budget, and we do have quite a large budget that we should be using to, to do studies and to ensure that we're operating to our best capacity. So um, I think we should probably start having more conversations about what that budget is and what it can be used for and how, as a committee, we all decide we should be using it um, because it shouldn't just sit there, in my opinion. Right. Great. Thank you. So, so hopefully some of that budget can be used to do that study and maybe it, the city attorneys can advise us if it can be used for program outreach or communication. Um, I think we need to hear from the city attorney on some of the best uses for that. Do we have a city attorney? Um, Hi folks, this is Peg. Um, uh, the city attorney, Ken Rue, had to go to another meeting. Um, I will take notes of your conversation and relay questions to him. And um, just a little bit of comment on this. So I think the, as far as we know, the, funds that you have can be spent on a couple of different purposes, many different purposes for oversight and sort of quality assurance and uh, public response to bonds. And we think it's a permissible use. 
um, uh, to do both this type of review and public surveying as we have done in the past. So I think you should feel comfortable on that score. We've talked a couple of times about the whistleblower independent review and ways to go about it. At our last meeting, um, we talked about using a possibility of taking the pre-qualified pool that we already have of audited and review firms and putting out a, a review to that group. And the sort of gist of the discussion was that you would prefer um, a separate uh, uh, RFP, RFQ process to have that possibility open to the whole market. Um, it still needs staff support and work for working with you to draft a scope of work and um, shaping it up for putting it out to city contracting. My hope is that we would be able to provide that kind of staff support to you, but it's not gonna be in the January, February, March quarter. Um, and I, I know there's some tension over this, but we have, we have all of our staff fully deployed to the COVID emergency. And I think, I think that's gonna be the case with the surge and vaccination planning for at least another quarter, but we'll try to pull time for it for you in the last quarter of the fiscal year. And I can keep you updated on how that's looking for us. Thank you, Peg. Member McKee, would you like to move Any forward with public comment? Sorry. Yeah, if there's no other member comment, let's move forward. Thanks, Mary. Members of the public who wish to provide public public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 146-921-9782, then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. A system in the, will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comment. Please note that you have three minutes. I'm checking the attendee list now for any hand raised. There are no hand raised for public comment. I just wanted to bring attention to the time. It's 1213. Um, I wasn't sure if you wanted to move forward with item number eight or if you wanted to move that to the next meeting. Um, yeah, let's let's try and run through as much of this as we can get to if, if everybody has enough time. Um, okay. Um, I think it should Okay, uh, I just want to note that um, Chair Chu has left the mute. Uh, I'm sorry, Member Chu has left the meeting at this point, but we do have quorums. I will go ahead and read item number eight. Opportunity for the member for committee members to comment or take action on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. One fiscal year 2020-2021 Siegelbach work initiative, a standardized template, b expenditure audit, c public finance upcoming bond issuance. Number two, other committee business, Siegelbach fiscal year 2020-21 work plan, B, housing, housing public perception survey, C, follow up on the public integrity review, D, the housing forbearance decision-making process, and E, independent review of the whistleblower program. So is this part of the meeting where we just openly discuss any of these items or do we go in order and see if anybody has any comments? 
This is Chuck. I can I can comment just a little bit on each of the items if that's helpful. And I'm not sure if members might have done other work since the last time you met about any of them. Um, so I, if you want to do that first, or I can speak to um, where we are on the items. Okay. Well, I know personally we we've probably covered the um, the whistleblower program two E. And if we're short on time, I want to make sure we get to 2D, the housing forbearance decision-making process. I think we were expecting a memo um, on how that happened, which, which I think is important um, from Mark Blake. To, he's, not, he's not here, obviously, but did he submit a memo or anything for us to review? There is a memo um, being circulated um, internally at this point. Uh, once that's finalized, I will go ahead and um, circulate it to the members as soon as I can. Um, so there has been some correspondence. I just haven't had the opportunity to present it to the committee at this point. Sorry about okay. that. So we should expect that in just being emailed to each committee member maybe in the next week? Uh, yes, uh, next week or the following week, as soon as possible, as, as soon as I'm able to. So by next week, if not the following week, I just need to tie up some loose ends. Okay. Um, okay, should we, should we hit the list in order then, now that we've covered those two things, or does anyone have any comments? Um, so th this is Peg. I'll just speak quickly to each item, and then and please, if there are any member comments, um, stop me or follow up. Um, I believe the process on standardized templates was uh, Member Chu, I think, had volunteered to be the committee lead liaison on this and would work with our staff to look at the way your reports are being submitted and uh, take member feedback and try and come to a more standardized template for going forward. Um, again, that's a, a staff time uh, issue for us, which we won't be able to work on in the current quarter, uh, but uh, member two might want to speak to it. Um, expenditure audits, we will have them on your calendar whenever they're completed by the um, Mark De La Rosa's unit. And so when developing your future agendas, uh, we'll place those for you for review whenever they're completed by the um, audit group. Public finance, upcoming bond issuances, there should have been in your packet a list of upcoming bond issuances, and Vishal Trivedi um, can speak to any questions that you have on that. So I will stop there um, before going on to the next list in case there are member questions or comments. If anybody has any feedback for how how they do or don't like the presentation templates or if there's any additional information that would be helpful to you guys um shoot an email into to myself or kristen or staff okay so going on to 8.2 the GOBAC work plan, um, again, in your packet was a list of items for your next couple of upcoming meetings. And we will work with the chair and vice chair to keep adjusting those so that you get appropriately caught up to your schedule and then add items that are of interest to the committee. And I think we're, we're mostly there now because you've heard presentations on significant bond groupings. 
Um, housing public perception survey. Um, again, we've talked about doing this and the value of it. We all think there's there's high value to it. Um, it we have uh, survey contractors who could perform this capably, and I would really highly recommend using our qualified pool for it. Um, but again, it's not something we're going to be able to provide staff time to work on in the current quarter, and I hope to be able to pick it up with you in the um, last quarter of this fiscal year. Um, follow up on the public integrity review. We have this as a standard item on your agenda. And as products are issued by the audits unit on the public integrity review, um, Mark De La Rosa and his staff uh, would bring presentations uh, if that were of interest to you on the content of, of those uh, products and investigations. And I think you've already covered housing forbearance and the whistleblower program. So again, I'll stop there and see if I can help with any questions or comments from the members. I do apologize for not being able to be more responsive to your work plan. Um, it's just a fact of our deployment for the COVID emergency. We are managing really serious staff shortage for at least one more quarter. Um, this is Bart. Uh, so Peg, you, you mentioned the upcoming bond issuances was in the packet. Um, so the links provided in the email, I was trying to find that, maybe you could help me out. Could you share your, somebody share a screen of what that looks like? Maybe I'm missing it. I will share my screen, hang on a second. Mary, can you pass me the presentation? Yes, give me one card. second. Thank you for that. Sometimes you have to re, um, clear your catch. I've noticed that to be an, a problem as well with some people not being able to load the information. So um, once you do that, sometimes um, that'll help. So what link was that on the agenda that what, we were sent an email with the uh, GoBach Office of the Controller? It's, it's labeled OPF Forward Debt Calendar December 2020 memo. Got it, the, the one I didn't open, the very last one. Thank you. Shall we move into public comment? Mm -hmm. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001, access code 146-921-9782, then pound and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. A system prompt will indicate you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comment. Please note you have three minutes. I'm checking the attendee list now, and I do not see any hand raised. Would you like to adjourn this meeting? Yes, thank you, Peg, and thank you, Mary, for everything. Okay. Thanks. It's 12.23 p.m. for the record.
Thank you, Bye, everyone. Everybody. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.